Welcome back. Spinner Rack. And as promised, we are here with the Matrix Reloaded. Once again, it's Calvin Ellis taking you on this wonderful ride through a cinematic tour de force. Well, maybe not all of that. And we have special guests who decided to sit in once more. Professor BX. I'm sorry, Professor C.A. Say hello to the people. What up, people? We here. It's Reloaded. It's happening again. You didn't think it would. It did. Deal with it. Let's watch it. And it's Reloaded, baby. Yeah, now, when we think of the title, The Matrix Reloaded, okay, there's a number of different ways to take this. Actually, there's not. I had a couple of cups of Americano on an empty stomach, and so I am incredibly wired right now because when we look at the word loaded, all you can think of, this was a load. <laughs> there was a big load, okay? And they kind of gilded it to a certain extent. So, look, the first film was a complete film. Beginning, middle, end, self-contained. They can say, well, yeah, we could definitely turn this into a trilogy, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that I could turn into a trilogy. Doesn't mean it was meant for that. The Matrix wasn't meant for that. So here... We've got the Matrix Reloaded because the money. <laughs> That's the end of it, the money. But where the Matrix was a great film, tight story, tight script, the Matrix Reloaded, one of the reasons I enjoyed it is because it was a great action flick. That's where it really boils down to at the end of the day. There's a whole bunch of the philosophical things that we got in the first film, but this one just starts off with a whole bunch of punch. They're looking to entertain their looking to just knock you knock your socks off and that's where they start so once again we start in medias rest trinity's doing her thing as she did in the first movie she's just smacking all of these guys around looking damn good doing such we have no idea what's going on even though we know the principal players so hey what more can you ask for yeah i mean and, and i think it was made yeah for the money it was also made because they wanted to do it again. They realized the fans, as much as it was a complete story, and I'm sure most of the fans realized it was a complete story, we are greedy, selfish people. We wanted a little bit more, and so did they, and so we get this. And they played directly into the audience expectations, at least in the beginning scenes, where Trini comes in, and she does exactly what she did in the first movie, just on the grander scale, which could be a little foreshadowing for what else we have in store for us for the rest of this movie. Now we're at the scene where she's broken into the building. Dope special effects. She's shooting off her Uzi as she's falling down. A, a, a new agent is falling after her, shooting her. We're getting reflections off the glass building. It's, it's a slow-mo descent to the concrete coming. I'm not really sure where her plan is to get out of this. What I, I'm amazed is she can't hit this dude. You know, she's got two guns to his one. It's like, why can't you pop this dude? Just one shot. I don't know why it took, even took him so long to hit her. Nah, he only has one rifle. She's, oh. if we look at there, she, one rifle, one gun. She's going double time. She's doing, she has two guns and doing double time. He's doing shot, shot. She's bam, 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 bam. Couldn't punch him. So now apparently, um, Nia wakes up. It's just, it's all, it's all a dream. Um, apparently he has a new power now. He's a precog and he's uh, sharing a room with uh, well, th This is what we were told he would be able to do in the first movie, that he would have the sight. The Oracle told him that eventually he would have the sight, that he would be able to see these things. And it's another thing that reminds us that Neo is the one. However, since this is reloaded, and remember the word load, as in a load of, you've got it, 
certain things that Neo achieved in the first movie, we're going to take it back. Because other than that, there's not a lot of story that could happen. See, if Neo is a fully realized the one, most of this stuff just doesn't need to happen whatsoever. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Now, we've got a new character who was introduced. And why is this? Because the actor who played Tank, don't know his name, sorry, got into some issues and wasn't able to come back. So we have the wonderful Harold Piranu, who does a great job of being his brother and our everyman. Why do I pay this much attention to him? Because I really enjoyed his character. I love the guys who are the everyman, and they act out what we feel exactly when we should be able to feel it. And they you know, put it together pretty well. He's going to be our doubting Thomas who comes into belief, and we're going to enjoy it. Yeah. And, and I recognized him from some other movies. I think uh, he was in uh, the movie The Best Man. That's where I remember him from. Romeo and Juliet, he did an excellent Mercutio. Yeah. He's a pretty good actor. I like him. He's cool. He's getting introduced to the world, getting the understanding of what's going on, where they're at, what missions they're on now. We've been seeing Morpheus and his new crew returning from the mission. About to head back into a home port. Check back in as we will be introduced to the whole new host of characters who hopefully will not be killed by the end of the movie. Well, some changes that we see. The clothing looks better. Remember, in the first film, you know, the, we, the whole idea is we were supposed to be getting this idea of this, you know, this is this apocalyptic future. Nothing is nice outside of the Matrix. You know, the clothing has a hole in it. It's ratty. You know, it, it's terrible at the end of the day. But since Neo became the one, they've also got better tailoring. Less holes in the clothing. Mm -hmm. This looks like it came from the Gap. You know, more, you know, there's more color. Everything's, even the lighting. There's more light now as opposed to it before. The Nebuchadnezzar was a lot darker. So we see that some of the things that we sacrificed in that first film, we're not going to have to deal with right over here. Hmm. And um, the, the actor's name, who do you remember, is, who played Tank, is Marcus Chung, um, who actually sued or filed against Warner Brothers for breaking a verbal agreement they have a return in the, in the in the other installments. Well, yeah, you always sue when you're wrong. Yeah. Or when you're right. Doesn't matter. It's the United States. You can sue. You can sue a ham sandwich over here. Bottom line, he didn't come back. He didn't come back. Now we're gonna get a nice scene coming right over here. Yes, this was excellent. Right. This is the Trinity. That's an iconic motion right there. An iconic scene. These are the three people who pretty much are going to control the fate of the human race. And I love the way they introduce them. Everybody else is just, okay, you guys are some regular captains. These are the three bosses right over here. Trinity, Morpheus, Neo. In that particular order for myself, because Neo once again is gonna be regressed back here. So we get introduced to a whole bunch of other guys who are just styling. You know, Roy Jones Jr. made it, which is a first sign that these guys, this is not quite with the same quality of script. You know, people, Cornell West ends up in this film. Cornell West, the big Obama-hating Cornell West made it in this film. I'm surprised Tavis Smiley didn't get here along with them. But they didn't have that sort of precognition when it comes here. But some people are here simply to be here. Whereas the other film, whereas The Matrix, I thought the casting was very good for the acting and the, what the results of were going to be for that acting. Some people are just here to be here. We, did we really need to see Roy Jones Jr.? No. And is Roy Jones Jr. going to do anything that we could actually see him? Does he box at all? Does he have any fight scenes? No. And did we see Roy Jones Jr. in anything after this? Where he had a, was this the start of a budding acting career? No. It was just here. 
you know, it's the Matrix, you know, people are going to be in it. We have Jada Pinkett Smith, but if you have to recall, Jada Pinkett Smith hadn't done anything up to this point. This was more of a reintroduction to audiences for her. And at the end of the day, what she's really going to be very good at is stealing light from Morpheus, more so in Revolutions than in this film. And I apologize to anyone. I got it wrong last time where I was saying Revelations. Sorry for that. It is Revolutions. But that's really what her main role is going to be here. Unfortunately, so. It was a revelation to me that they made a third movie. Um, and I feel like Jay was just like, look, Will didn't take this chance when he had it. Somebody from the Smith family had to step up and get back in these Matrix movies. And she, she took her role. And, and we got to see what we wanted to see from Jada. She gets to, she gets to be a, a kick, kick butt at least one little fight scene. And she has, definitely has a bigger expanded role in the third movie. But in this movie, we do actually get to see her as this sort of a romantic love interest to Morpheus, who apparently was quite, was quite the uh, player in the day. And now, as we sit here, um, someone's approaching the door, and could it be an agent? And what kind of agent? Yes, the new upgraded agents. But again, we have to deal with a little bit more stylized fighting, and with the fact that Neo should be able to just dis say disintegrate, and these guys disintegrate. Why do you think they upgraded the agents? Well, the whole idea of everything, you know, that there had to be some kind of feedback for, um, for taking on. Well, if, if Neo's a virus, then it would typically be an upgrade. I don't know. I thought they upgraded them because they can't show a fully realized Neo. So this is for the audience. So when we look over here, why doesn't he just do what he did to Agent Smith? Oh, he can't do that. Why? Upgrades. Um. Okay, so since they're upgrades and so on and so forth, that should explain why he's not doing anything at this point. And the fact that he had needs to use two hands. Well, oh, you upgrade. Okay. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he showed initially, hey, he can do one hand, but he's got to fight two of them, three of them. And then what do we want? This is going to be more of an action movie. Okay? Not the full realization of the one. This is going to be action. So these guys, it's the dumbest thing at the end of the day. If you're an audience member, you should be like, hey, what are you talking about? I'm going to get up and leave. But then you look at these fight scenes. Some damn good fight scenes. I heard some criticism about them, too, where the other ones were more fluid and, you know, more uh, operatic, if you will, or, you know, more like ballet. You can see what I've been watching if, since I'm using these particular terms. These were less so, well, yeah, they didn't have the same amount of time. There wasn't the same amount of training. All of these things that go in. I heard criticism that was the opposite, that the first fight scenes were more like uh, organic or visceral. And, and these are more like choreographed, more um, balletic, and I could definitely see that. Um, but it was still like, hey, it was a fun ride. I, I don't think you can capture, recapture the feeling from the first, or even the philosophy, or especially, especially you cannot capture the technology from the first. If you were coming into this movie looking for a step in technology, people were still catching up with technology, the bullet time um, framing that had already been in like 30 to 40, 30 movies since the first movie. So you're not really as wild when you see it again um, in this, but you can still appreciate the action. But what was the... T do you remember what was the amount of time between The Matrix and The Matrix Reloaded? How much time passed? No, I would estimate maybe three or four years. Um, that, that, that shouldn't be too hard to, to figure out. The Matrix was in 1999. The Matrix Reloaded had to come on maybe, let's say... What would you think? Would you, would you say five years? No, I thought it was less than five. It was less than five years. I'm, I'm certain, I'm certain your, your, your mind, known as Google, will, will allow you to find it out pretty quickly. 
a lot of the, the flying sequences right over here, I, I really enjoyed them, especially as a big Superman fan. I said, okay, I know what they're going to do. So like four Superman. years. It was 2003. 2003? Yeah. Okay, so in four years' time, in four years' time, and, you know, of course, Warner Brothers, the stuff that they did here in terms of the special effects, or rather the stuff that was done for Warner Brothers in terms of the special effects, it's not like they hold the copyright on it. So we're going to see it in, we're going to see it in other films. But they're not going to try to necessarily outdo the special effects. That would be a mistake. And then, of course, you don't want to compete with yourself. So you're going to try to do some, you will try to do some things a wee bit differently. But, you know, you can't get you can't get angry at the fight scenes. Fight scenes were you know the fight scenes were on point. And you know to compare one, two different films, two different films, and that's one of the problems that we have when we decide to go from a fully realized film that had a beginning, middle, end to well let's we're gonna tag on these other ones right here. This is more of a to be honest, this film works if the first film was like an introduction and Neo doesn't quite get there, and we break it up over three films of him finally you know getting to that point. But he's fully realized. He's fully realized himself in that first film. You're getting a little bit of the, uh, the in the the last of the first uh, trilogy of uh, Star Wars films. Was it the last? What was, what was the last one of the? There was the New Hope, and what was the Empire Strikes Back? Re Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. So you have, you know, yeah, you have Neo coming in. You know, just like Luke came in in the black cloak and the look. I'm a Jedi, so you haven't kind of like yeah, but they they did showing up and stuff. They did New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Jedi all in the first film, The Matrix. Because mm -hmm. by the time we get to Return of the Jedi, Luke is like I'm a Jedi now, like my father before me, and then he has his final battle. We got all of that, okay? We got all of that in the first film. We got New Hope, we got Empire Strikes Back, we got Return of the Jedi all in that first film, and then um, here's what you would have to imagine: we got. Star Wars, New Hope, we got Empire Strikes Back, we got Return of the Jedi, and then we got another film after that where Luke is like, no, I didn't complete my training, I need to go back and do some more stuff. It, it, that's what we have right over here, where somehow he's incomplete, whereas the last film said, no, he's fully realized. And for whatever reason, we're, we're getting more insights into Zion and how, how Zion works. Yeah, didn't care. And, and the fact that they need to be plugged into, like... Did we really need to see this? Control the computers to, to control the ship coming in? I'm not sure. I mean, did we really need to see any of this? The, the whole... The, the, the docking scene? Any of this? Did we really need to see Zion at all? We were able to get through it the first film. Why did we need to be brought to Zion at all? What was? Uh, why? I feel, I feel like for the first film, it's okay that we don't we don't see Zion. I think if you're going to do a second film, then you want to pay off everything that was set 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 up in the first. So yeah, you do kind of need to see Zion. What? Because Zion are the stakes. What were the stakes for the first film in terms of why Morpheus didn't just let his brain be washed and give away the, the secrets? What was he protecting? We get now to see what he's protecting in the community. I think we lose something when we see Zion because, to be quite honest, the people look okay. Yeah. They look okay. It looks like the worst of it was when we saw everyone on the Nebuchadnezzar and they have to eat that slop and they're in the dark and they got the ratty clothing. That's where it seems. But when you look at Zion and you look at the ships, it looks, it looks all right. It looks like these people are doing okay. So in spite of the rest of the world being bad, this looks like, okay, we got a little pocket right over here. Okay, we've got our ships. Everybody's, you know looks healthy. Nobody's fighting for food. No. You know, it looks like better than what we're doing on a regular basis right over here. It's like underground Manhattan. So, I don't know. The, what we get shown in terms of Zion doesn't seem like it's so bad. You know, to the point like they're, it's this beautiful oasis in the desert, 
But hey, if you've got a beautiful oasis in the desert, you've got water and you've got enough food, why are you going to trip anywhere else? You just stay, especially if you've got, you've got companionship, it's enough to sustain you. Why would you go anywhere else at this point? That may play into what they talk about the machines, that this is supposed to be this area where humans can live so we can still function, so we can have these choices that you guys need so we can still use you for power. But in terms of you know, watching the film overall, like, hey, no, it doesn't look so bad at the end. It doesn't look so bad at the end of the day. Hey, it looks better than when I went, where I went to high school. <laughs> and uh, we get to see a character that was introduced in the Animatrix, who was we, we got to see Neo pull out uh, in a similar way that he was pulled out through the whole talk to the computer with the White Rabbit. And uh, it was a nice little old Easter egg ode to the you know to the Animatrix. I'm bothering that. Was that the Spoon Boy? Yeah, it was Spoon Boy. No, no, that's not Spoon Boy. That's not the boy who told him there is no spoon. Was somebody no. different? No, somebody different. In the Animatrix, um, there was a character. You see a teenager who seems suicidal, or ends up committing "quote unquote" suicide in the end of the film. Well, really, that was somebody who was convinced that he was something was wrong, meaning he's living in something a construct, and was talked out by Neo, being chased by agents to his high school roof, and then he takes the leap off, which ends up freeing him. Okay, uh, I actually remember that now yeah. from the Animatrix. Yeah. So right. that, that's that character. So here's another needless character that was introduced, <laughs> which is this guy who has to have this animosity with Morpheus. It was hard for me to believe it because Morpheus seems to mean so much to the people. As This is the inspiration before the one. Okay, Morpheus is this big leader, and it seems like it was really contrived just so they could have the, the, the triangle mm -hmm. of you know Morpheus, Niobe, and the general dude over here whose name escapes me. But, hey, he's, this is the second general he's played who was, at the end of the day, I thought was just window dressing. He's also a Man of Steel. Mm -hmm. He was a Man of Steel in Batman v Superman. And in both cases, you know, it's, I guess he comes across with the voice and the height and the face as this you know, authoritative figure. But at the end of the day, no, no really big deal. I just never believed the contention between the two of them. Morpheus is definitely, without a doubt, one of the most integral people that would come to, I mean, and even then, and I'm, I'm going to cut myself off here, you get that scene of how well-developed Zion is. And this place looked like a rat hole. I could understand, all right, fine, we're fighting this war. It looks okay. It looks like a giant mall. But, uh, but I mean, they're fighting because it's still, they're still under fear of, you know, the, sent the Sentinels and, and the agents. The Sentinels are going to, if they find them, they're going to kill them. Yeah, but they're not finding them, and the only way they could find them is if they keep going out. If they keep oh, going out and get led back here. So now, you're why would they even venture out? It looks good to me. If the only place that's left on Earth is to live is the Manhattan Mall. And the Manhattan Mall has plenty of light, food, everything that you need, recreation. What the hell are you going out for at the end of the day? Yeah, what are they going out for? Yeah. You know, like, you're going out here to do what? To get in trouble? That was one of the problems. That, that's one of the things with Zion that becomes a problem when you see it. If Zion is this rat hole where everybody's scrimping to get by, okay, we can understand why they're going out because we got to get resources. Yeah. We got to bring food back. We got to try to do this. They're self-sustainable at the end of the day. So now that brings another question because then why was that? Because I was going to say they were there. They were out there because they had to meet. If there were other Zion's centers, just like a network, then it would make sense that they would have to meet so they can link up and talk to the Matrix, which is what they were doing at the beginning of the film. But if all these guys live in the same place, then why were any of them out there? And what were their missions? Well, well, we, well one of them was probably the Flight of the Osiris, which was another um, 
movie from the Animatrix. But yeah, but yeah, honestly, that's a good feed. That's a good criticism. Well, it seems that their main mission, at least, well, okay, with the Nebuchadnezzar, we know what the main mission is. They were going out there to free Neo because he was the one. And then we also see, I guess, that they're looking to free people. You know, uh -huh. we're looking to free people, bring them back to Zion, liberate as many people as we can. Which, at the end of the day, is, well, you know, we're self-contained. It's futile. Are people having kids? Are any of these women pregnant? Which is, thankfully, I don't remember seeing any of that. But, again, you know, it, it looks like it doesn't look that bad. Okay? It doesn't look that bad. If you're living, you come over here, everybody looks very healthy. There's a lot of color. You know, they're doing their best to make it dark. But, no, everybody looks, you know, everybody looks great. And, and, and it kind of right the scene where they're kind of coming out and they're being embraced by the community who are welcoming back Neo, which is also giving us a little bit more like insight into the community that he has who, who see him as, um, if not a deity, more of like a, a savior or, 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 or a totem to, to kind of like um, to praise and, and almost worship to the point that Trinity is like, okay, look, I'll give you some time with your community, your, you know, who you have to kind of, your, your flock, so to speak. Um, they're all asking him to show favor and protect their family and loved ones. That's him to do what though? What is he? What is he? Do they expect him to do? I mean, I get the scene. Okay, I get the scene that he's inspirational. He's the one that, inside of the matrix. He's able to do all these things. But these guys aren't in the matrix. They don't get to see anything. They just hear about it. And then I guess he's supposed to be the one who's going to liberate them from Zion. So we're going to be liberated from Zion to go back up there where everything is desolate, dark, and destructive. This is the best place on earth. So again, you know, I guess it's going to be ad infinitum on my part. We get brought back, to, we get brought back to that sequence. But again, I don't understand what it is that these guys, you know, you're going to go back here and you're going to liberate who? Who, you know, you liberate? Oh, and in the matrix, I had this person, so on and so forth. You can't liberate those people. Most of these people who are supposedly out have been brought out when they were kids, this would have been somebody, we're not supposed to be liberating adults. So as a scene, I get what they're trying to do. It just doesn't make a lot of sense for me at the end of the day. Ah, yes. Ms. Gay, daughter of Marvin Gay. It makes sense that they cast her. I thought she was amazing. She did an exquisite job with her acting. And I wanted to see, I wanted to see more of her. But uh, again, I guess she didn't have it in the cards. I don't know that she did anything, any acting after this movie. Well, she was in this, and she was also in Ali with Will Smith. Uh, but I brought it up because originally the role wasn't meant for her. Originally, the role was meant for Aliyah, who died in the, who, who died on uh, I believe it wasn't wasn't in a crash. She ended yeah, up dying. Yeah. Okay, this originally was supposed to be her role, but I brought it up, and of course, rest in peace, Aliyah. But that's how she ended up finding this particular role. And she, and she probably. Connected with Jada on this set, which probably get connected to Ali. I think she, didn't she do Ali? I thought she did Ali before this. Oh, well, this is two thousand three. I don't know when Ali came out. I feel like Ali came out later than that. Like, I can't re well. I I can't remember exactly, but that's how she got the role. And then of course, if you get the role, we get the interplay right here. I again am not one hundred percent certain why we needed this scene. We are going to see Harold Perrineau do the Everyman's. And he's going to do a good job of it. But right here, and part of this is because this is movie is, I think, believe Reloaded is longer, okay, than The Matrix at the end of the day. So we get these scenes. Yeah, it's a human scene. Yeah, we get to see what he's fighting for. And we get to understand a little bit more about his character. Wonderful. Did we really need the scene? No, we didn't need the scene. So there, there are extra characters here, people that we just don't need to be around at this, this point. 
I would argue that it, you know it's setting up stakes for him as, as as we don't know yet, but the fight is going to be brought to them. Also, you're absolutely right. This is nowhere near in any way, shape, or form as tight a script as the first one. There's, they trimmed all the fat of the first script. This this is basically all the fat in the gravy. Yeah, here's some fat right over there. That character. They, God, he was so annoying at the end of the day. Yeah. And, it's, you know, basically they're giving us, and this is the world building, all part of the world building. Because even when they introduce that new character, Z, it gives us a chance to kind of talk about her, her brother who died from the first movie, which also kind of parallels that, yeah, he's the new cast, and he's the new crew member, who, who like, if everything goes at the end of the other movie, will die by the end, too, but he also has a lot more um, at stake if he dies. Now here, let's say we cut out all that extra stuff, okay? We cut out all that extra stuff, and we just get right over here. Okay, to Morpheus. He's an awesome okay, speech. To the great Lawrence Fishburne coming over here. He's inspiring everyone. And again, this guy's a great actor. So we trim like what was that portion we just had there? We had about a good eight minutes of stuff we just didn't need. Okay? We just cut all of that out. We have the general over here, like, look, the people, Morpheus, I hate to ask this of you, but you can I need you to come over. Okay, you know, the people are a little bit unnerved. They're hearing these things. Can you speak with them? And we just get right to this. Okay, and it reminds us of how important Morpheus is to the people. That, I think, is a better instance than what we just got. Well, the speech was excellent. Uh, Morpheus just standing there orating with his voice, his booming voice that grabs everybody's attention. And and his and his he definitely was it, it, it inspiring. He had my attention in the in the movie theater, and even now I can definitely just kick back and listen and listen to his speech. That's not what you said when you first saw the movie. I remember you were making fun of him. I was. How was I making fun of him? He was like, "Hey, it's been four years. You put on some weight there, Morpheus. Notice you got to pack it in with that cummerbund right there. No, I, That's I, why I, they're doing the long shots. Remember, I remember hey, you saying that. Don't try to take it back now." I, if anything, I'm proud that he's got his shirt open. I was, I was going to say, I was going to actually. Do trying it. to take it back now, right? No, I'm not trying to take it back. I actually held back from saying what I was going to say. What I was going to say was, look, this will probably be the last time. No, sorry, see, good people. I'm not going to. I'm not letting him get. <laughs> I'm not letting him get away with it. It'll be the last time we see Morpheus dressed ever in a movie again. <laughs> movie on TV again. Okay, we saw this. Yeah, this was a shot right over here. It was like, hey, Morpheus. Yeah, you should have got a bigger belt. No, nah, he let it out. He was looking cool. He pulled, he pulled it off. So, one of the things I'm saying. Why is this? Okay, Lawrence Fishburne is obviously in shape. Okay, you know, we're, we're taking, you know, we're, we're definitely, you know, taking some liberation over here, having to go with Lawrence Fishburne, but he's obviously in shape. Yeah. Okay, he's obviously in shape for this role, and there really shouldn't be any fat people in Zion, okay? Because if you see fat people, that says opulence, okay? That says these guys are really doing okay. And then we want to understand, well, why is everybody dressed like this? Nobody's fully clothed. There's a lot of skin. And, of course, that'll go to this sequence. But why doesn't he just have on a proper shirt? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's even more, so now, now we're kind of moving into the party scene. These guys, these guys, not only they're not poor, these guys still know how to party. I mean, they have all, and all their people are pretty. All of them are. And, and now we go to this big party scene. It's kind of like a setup now because now we're introduced to, to the love interest um, Niobe, um, who apparently should not really be talking to Morpheus because she has a man now, but it's, it said that some things change and some things do not, which, you know, is a nice little phrase that gets played back around. These guys got the percussion going. You have about, I don't know, 100, 200, uh, cast members in there who are just there to, you know, to be the background and play, and play the party scene. Yeah, good play by play, but did we need the scene? Did we need the scene? 
again, you're just getting you're getting world building. Yeah, you're getting you're getting world building and all those kind of things that you need to have happen so that we can know what's going on here. Just get answer some questions. Did you need it? Eh, probably didn't. But the, you know, there you go. Now we have um, we get to see Trinity come in. She looks amazing in her party outfit. She has a party outfit apparently, and. The crescendo is building in the crowd. Is there? Is there, is there? And we get to see more scope. It looks to be about, which is a wow. I would say five. From the way they're shooting the scene, this looks this looks comparable to like a scene from Lord of the Rings. Which I would say, wow, they could be easily. I could be maybe a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people that I get from from what we're seeing here, which is like a, a wild number. I mean. What if, so that brings up the question, how many people are actually alive in Zion? Is it a million? Is it 500,000? From the wide shots that we're showing, it is a lot of people. A lot. And if they keep doing all this libidinous dancing, where are the... Well, we saw some children. So I, I'm just trying to... It just looks too good. Okay, it doesn't look like there's a problem. And okay, it doesn't look like these guys have any problems. And right now, Neo and Trinity are not having any problems either. Uh, their their love making scene. Did we need to see this? Did we really need to see this at the end of the day? I don't know why they paid that off so much with this whole like you know like they're they're in love they're in love we we get we're really getting hit over the head with how much they love each other again probably in retrospect probably just set up um, the fact that you know her, her life is is going to be in danger um, by the end of the movie which is which is what they showed in the in the first like five minutes. So again, Trinity's like, look, they love each other so much, and he it looks like he's gonna potentially lose well, that love. One of the reasons why the scene doesn't necessarily work is because it's juxtaposed with this with this rave sequence here. Okay, so these people are dancing, they're you know letting loose, you know all the fears that they have are gonna be let loose through the dancing, through that emotion, and then we get to see these two guys, you know, bumping uglies. And what at the end of the day is supposed to be the effect of this? Why do I need? I, I keep saying it, but did we need to see this? This is a bit of padding that before we get to the real story that's happening. And where is the real story happening? In the Matrix. Not, it's not called the Zion. It's not called Return to Zion or something of that nature. It's the Matrix Reloaded. And while, you know, look, we all like looking at pretty people, okay? We like looking at the sensuality of the bodies moving and the music and, you know, you know we're voyeurs when it comes to it at the end of the day. But I said it once, and I'm, I'm sorry for anyone who gets annoyed at the end of the day, but did we need to see this sequence? Did I really need to see this guy sweat slapping all over everyone? Did I really need to see it? Huh? I think I needed to see this, but I don't know if I needed to see anything else. I mean, look, I'm as red-blooded as the next guy. You got some pretty women over here. You're showing off some stuff. Yeah, I'm going to be okay with it. But the critic in me, I just didn't need to see this. It doesn't help the film. None of this helped the film. And, At all, and then as 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 they uh, quote unquote climax in their love making, he gets once again he gets another vision of of, of, of Trinity of Trinity dying. Uh, yeah, that's way to, that's one way to lose it. <laughs> that's oh, one way to lose it. Oh man, and um, which really like you know again, and then knowing where this movie's going, ultimately it was a big save of her to have her die in the last one. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> have her die in the last in the last film, and he's struggling with this secret that he has of what he's seeing, 
but he's not telling her. And she's telling him, don't be afraid, let me know what's going on. Everybody dies in the last one. Morpheus' character is killed. Neo dies, and then Trinity dies. So that's one of the reasons why we will not be doing revolutions, because... Morpheus dies in the last one? They killed his character. Metaphorically, oh, metaphorically, okay. they killed his character. They killed his character. Okay, he's no longer inspirational. He takes a backseat to Niobe, which should not have happened. And he was such a good character. And then in the last film, they did everything. Well, maybe for like the first third where he appears. And then after that, once you got that sequence where he's like, keep up, I'm trying. Like, no, that's not him. You know, that's not him. They did that. So it, it, it takes good writing to show someone else being capable without showing without belittling or lessening the other person to show how capable they are and a lot of writers make that mistake one person doesn't have to be shown as incapable or lesser in order for that person to be shown capable mm -hmm. you know it's it's very we preach about equality but a lot of times we just don't know how to do it at least not in terms of the overall story so when i'm saying that he's gone in terms it was it's metaphorically in terms of his character now Things get a little bit things get a little bit dodgy. At this point, we're killing time. Okay, nothing is really happening. We got to see Zion. We got the best part of this so far was the reintroduction of the Trinity. That's the one sequence that stays with me. If you're like me when you watch films, there's some great scenes that just stay imprinted in the brain because they become synonymous, uh, symbolic, a real big representative of what the film means overall and the things that you take away from it. That scene where we see Morpheus, Trinity, and Neo reappearing, okay, is the only thing imprinted in my mind from the, well, we're almost a half, we're over a half an hour in, and that's the only portion after I see the film, and I've seen this film several times, that stays imprinted in the brain right here. Everything else is kind of like, okay, killing time, killing time, especially as my first time seeing it, I was just like, okay, let's see how this goes, let's see what happens next, but other than that, I'm just killing time. I'm just marking time away. And we're now we're reintroduced to the character of Agent Smith, um, who sneaks up on some uh, Zion crew as they're about to go to a drop, a safe zone, to drop spot, to pick up the phone, to get plugged back in. But I'm uh, one of my wife, Agent Smith, still existing in the Matrix. Um, and then why is he, what is his mission at this point? So that was a little bit convoluted, but they do introduce him again. You get to see he has a new ability, and that now he's transferring. He can transfer his consciousness out of the Matrix and into a human. Yes, which makes absolutely no sense. No. We, uh, Agent Smith was a great villain for the first film. Okay, Hugo Weaving, excellent actor. If they wanted to do something here, they needed to introduce something new. They needed to introduce something bigger, something created. The whole idea was that Neo got into Agent Smith and when he exploded him, that somehow Agent Smith is supposedly the anti-Neo or something of that nature. He's the machine. He's the program that has somehow now become sentient. He's going to disobey his programming and that's thanks to what Neo did and that just doesn't make a lot of sense at the end of the day because within the Matrix, Neo can do anything and Agent Smith can only exist within the Matrix until they decide that he's going to be able to infect someone in the Matrix and come out, which becomes really convoluted at the end of the day yeah. because there's supposed to be two separate things. You disconnect, you're done. You die in the Matrix, you're done. He's not supposed to be able to do those sorts of things, that sort of viral infection that he's supposedly representing at this point. But, hey, they needed something else for the scene. They didn't think of a new villain or a new thing for Neo to have to overcome 
uh, suppose the mitigating factors that we get Hugo Weaving again, great actor. I mean, he, I mean, he's fine in the role of Agent Smith. He's excellent in the role of Agent Smith all the way through. Even when he's doing the, you know, the oil can Harry twisted mustache laughing, it has nothing. To, that's more on the direction than it is on him. But it again shows the. I mean, they had so little time. So little time to really work on this, even though there were so many years between The Matrix and The Matrix Reloaded, all right? Because the way that it works, you know, you have actors, they want to do other projects, okay? They had, if you're an actor, okay, I don't hope this comes across paternal, but if you're an actor, there's a limited number of films that you can actually do every year because average film is about three months of your time. So if you can get out three or four films, you know, over the course of a year, that's been a really busy year. To be locked to a film for an entire year, which is what a film like The Matrix would request of you, that's what they had to deal with. So now they're free of The Matrix. Hey, you want to do something else. You want to do some theater. You just want to take a break, or you have some other projects that you might be contracted to do, and that's one of the reasons why it takes an amount of time. It's not like they were working for four years on The Matrix. That's getting all the players back together. Okay, that's the amount of time, okay, Lawrence Fisher, I got to finish this first, then I can come back. Keanu Reeves, I got to finish this first. You know, Carrie Ann Moss, I've got to finish this first. Hugo Weaving, hey, my body's kind of busted up. You know, I need to heal, but you know, once I do that, I'm definitely back on board. So then we get all the players back together again. The Wachowski brothers are in the same position. Hey, we spent five years on this script, but now we're juggling all this other type of stuff, so the best we're going to be able to do is get this together bit by bit. We're really going to spend about, what, maybe a year's time? Even though it took four years, it's only going to be a really like a year's time in terms of the overall script. And then we get what we got right over here. The principal filming, remember, they're filming two movies back to back. So we got Reloaded, and then we got Revolutions. I mean, that can work. I mean, if you saw the, uh, this was the, by the Salkins, they did the Three Musketeers and the Four Musketeers. They filmed both of those films back to back, principally so they could screw over the actors. <laughs> so they got paid for one movie, and then those movies got split. Now, they did the same thing with Superman 2, and then they got into trouble with it. They're like, no, 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 we want our money. And you know, that's one of the reasons why people didn't come, uh, necessarily want to come back for anything over there. It can work. Here, it's a totally different time in a totally different sequence. So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But this is what they were working on. So we have to imagine, since they're filming both films back to back, how many scenes were being filmed for revolutions at the same time that Reloaded was being filmed? Whereas with The Matrix, everything is concentrated on just yeah. one central idea because it's only one film that's going on. And there we, you know, there we have what we get right here. Yeah, and... Uh... And I'm thinking about it from from the from the director's um, and, and uh, creator's standpoint. So they're basically working from 1999 to um, about 2004, uh, just doing all all the work and press and uh, editing and all that all that work that involved uh, this whole thing. And then after that, I think the next film they did was V for Vendetta. Um, but. Uh, and so yeah, so basically, I, I guess they got a, a lot of money. They're probably still living off of that. I haven't heard of any um, other projects from the Wachowski brothers. Ha, am I missing a project that they did other than V from the V from Vendetta? You mean before the Matrix or after the Matrix? After the Matrix. Well, they did Cloud Atlas. Oh yeah, Cloud, Cloud Atlas was. I didn't know that that was them. That was them. They did Cloud Atlas, and I I mean I don't know if that was the both of them on it. Okay, I know at least one of them was involved, but I really enjoy Cloud Atlas. Huh. and was that like a story through time and not to go into Cloud Atlas, but it was a story about like. I, I can't... Reincarnation or something like that? Cloud Atlas is such a different story. Hmm. It's some, And it, it's not something I can explain in a sentence, especially since we're supposed to be devoting time to the, the Matrix Reloaded. But Did you tell me they should see it? They should I, check it out? I enjoyed it. 
you know, maybe we'll do a commentary on it one day, but that will definitely be something in the future. But as you can see right here, since we're talking about Cloud Atlas, the film's not really something that sucks you in at this point. Like, you're watching it because you're waiting for stuff to happen. We're just, right. we're marking so much time with some, we're marking so much time with so many extra characters. And you wonder, how much... Is that why, is it, is it probably you thought, that's, that's why you thought that this character from the, from the, from the Animatrix was the spoon person because he gave him the spoon? Yeah, and, and it's also because, okay, in order for me to remember who this guy is, I have to remember the Animatrix. I don't remember all the stories from the Animatrix. I remember the ones that left some imprint on me. Mm -hmm. Particularly was the story of, was the downfall of, you know, of our civilization. Right, two machines. Those stories I, d you know, definitively remember. The other ones were kind of like, okay, this is okay, this is okay, but they were not integral to the history of the Matrix. They may have been integral to the history of connecting to this story, but were not connected to the history overall. Right. So those I can't say that I honestly remember. So all I remember is this guy, okay, and he gives the spoon, and I was like, okay, that was that the dude from the spoon? So it's that unimportant to me at the end of the day, and so I'm not able to remember, unfortunately. So now at this point, uh, he's going back into the Matrix to, I guess, um, talk to the Oracle to get some advice about these visions he's having and, and to figure out his next steps. Why? Why does he need to go? He knows what he needs to do. What, what does he need to go back? What, what advice does he need? Didn't he sort all this out in the first film? And now we're introduced to another character, Seraph, who's going to again add to the mythology because now we're going to figure out exactly what the Oracle is, which is a program and there are other programs. You know. But we knew this already. We knew this from the last film. Well, I don't think it was definitive. You, you, you knew she was something, but I guess now they're bringing up she was a program and there are other programs. Well, everything in the... Look, everything in the... When we see these guys over here, they're not... Me, when Neon looks at Morpheus or anybody else, he, he's seeing the same stuff that he would see as Seraph, which is, of course, is short, short for Seraphim, angel. You know, just so we get that. Okay, a little bit of stuff that thrown right here. And then we get the, you know, the cool fight scene bef between them. What... I'll get into it in just a moment, but again, what does he need to see the Oracle for? We sorted all this out, and I love the Oracle's character. I love the actress, but again, why are we going through these particular emotions once more? All of this stuff was done already. You know, we, we got to see Zion. Okay, too much time was spent there. We're back in the Matrix where all the action is really going to take place. You know, we got a good fight, but why is he going to see the... What does he need to see the Oracle again? And then it becomes what? Somehow he's got doubts once more. And why? You know, at what point did he once again reinvest in becoming a, doubt, a doubting Thomas? He's doing everything that he was told he could do. He's able to do everything that he was promised that he can do. Why is he need to see the Oracle? What is it that is plaguing him such? And that's never spoken to. Now, the fight right here with Seraph, I enjoyed. Some people would be some, you know, critical about it. Okay, but as a practicing martial artist... I enjoyed this. Why? The fight scene, I wasn't able to get the choreography. And I love when Seraph says, hey, you don't really know someone until you get a chance to fight with them. And I was like, yes, because there are a lot of stuff, that, there are a lot of things that can be replicated in the Matrix. We already see that Agent Smith can easily become someone else or change that person into him. A program could be created to be Neo, to try to actualize him as much as possible. But in that hand-to-hand -hand combat, that Seraph was like, no, I'll be able to know that this is you because a program would never be able to actualize these things. A program is going to go one, three, four, okay? Only Neo can go one, three, half, four, one, three, four point five, if we want to think in that particular motion. So I enjoyed that sequence, and the choreography was very, very good as well. 
But it brings it back to the same thing. As much as I like Seraph, did we really need to see this character? Yeah, so you can introduce this whole other like uh, mythology connected to like how the Matrix works, the door, the ins and outs of these different scenes and programs is a doorway. A doorway with a bunch of locks that will require what? A key. And who will have the keys? We're going to need a key master. So they're introducing all the things that we need to kind of like give you more, I guess we're looking from your perspective, more things that would lead to more filling and explaining the necessity of all those levels. Well, this is where the movie actually starts for me. Okay, we got... I, I, uh, I apologize. I should have done my homework, found out the name of the actress. Maybe we can... Uh, maybe it'll come to me in a few minutes thanks to the Google, maybe it'll come to me in a few minutes, but this is where the movie finally starts to me. Okay, we're picking up, he's having what I think is a conversation that doesn't really need to happen. I could understand if the Oracle was requesting to him to come back, that she needed his assistance with something, that it was only something he could do, or if something happened in the Matrix where he's no longer able to actualize these magnificent abilities that he should be showing us, rather than just saying upgrades, but the scene between the two of them is just so good. She plays it so well. She's a great actress. God rest her soul. Gloria Foster. Gloria Foster. Thank you, Google. Gloria Foster just does a really good job. She comes across as so genuine, so, again, like, like your grandmother. Like, everything that she's telling you is above board. There's no problem. And I love the way she looks at him. She's so, it's like she's her child or something. She's so pleased. She's so proud at the same time. And at the, in, the, in the same breath, she's also kind of like, you still haven't gotten it. Quite, right. you still haven't gotten it. Yeah, she did a great job. I mean, she was kind of like a grounding factor. And it's not until now you realize how like, integral she, she was to the movie and how much you were happy to see her and you wanted to see more of her. Um, and it was sad she couldn't have completed the, um, the trilogy. Um, they got another actress, and she was, she was fine in her, in her role. I, I think her, the other actress was Mary Alice. No. Yes, no, that was her name, but yeah, you know, I didn't think yeah. she was fine. It, I don't... Look, sometimes you have the right actor, okay? It would be like in the, uh, the Fast and the Furious movies if they decided to replace Paul Walker. Like, no, you know, Paul Walker played that role. He's dead. You know, just leave it on. We didn't need a new Oracle because, to be quite honest, Neo doesn't really need to go back to the Oracle for anything. This is the regression that happens. Neo is, once again, that doubting Thomas, but there's no reason. Every time he takes off and flies... That should be a reminder that he's got his power realized. Right. If he's struggling with anything, it shouldn't be with his own doubts. It might be, how do I liberate the people? That's what should be coming across. Right. But making him a doubting Thomas again just... And that could be something that you... Something could happen where, okay, this is causing him to doubt again. Something could happen, and because he's doubting, he's not able to access his full abilities. Mm -hmm. But that would have been a totally different story. We don't get that. We just hear upgrades, and that's pretty much the end of it. And that's how that's doing. That's a very interesting, uh, you know, feedback. I feel like she was kind of necessary just to, just for as a, as an exposition piece, especially with the way the last movie played out. But this, but this, I, you know, again, I'm sad that she wasn't able to complete the show. That she would have been perfect for it. I think, and I think we would have needed her, even even if Neo, ideally, was to be who he was and come into his own. Then it could have been more of a peer to peer conversation, if anything, or maybe more of a, a friendship. Um, it could be cool to see that develop because as we move, especially as we move into the third movie, the Oracle's uh, agenda is kind of shown. So, like she, like she, she has, she does have a little bit. Uh, What's her agenda? 
it was kind of implied that her agenda, like she had an agenda, you know, in terms of the balance between her and the architect, and it was that, and so she's kind of complicit in the idea of creating the one to keep the program running. Did she, her agenda is to keep the program running, and at the end, she was she was also a proponent asking for maybe like a piece. She 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 kind of um. So I I I thought the one was separate of that particular program. I thought okay, the oracle's coming in, saying that. Okay, this is wrong with the, what's this is what's wrong with the program. Okay, the program needs to offer them a choice. But in offering them a choice, that's where you're going to get the one. Okay, mm-hmm. you're going to get this person who's going to be able to actualize that choice, and then the matrix is going to be totally meaningless for them because they're going to realize this is a program. This is a set of rules. I can break the rules. Like any, it's the same thing. Like when you have you know you have a basketball or a baseball player, and the person realizes, okay, the rules say I can do all of this, but you know if I'm able to do this, I can surpass the rule. Okay, not break the rule, but I can surpass it to the point where it's like when the Knicks played. What, uh, I remember the Knicks played the Bulls. They took them to seven games, yeah. and they were like, "Okay, these are all the rules." And so they said, "Look, we're not as good as the Bulls when it comes to scoring offense, but we can play the hell out of defense." And they beat the crap out of them for seven straight games yeah. on the defense. And what did they do? Because the Knicks were so good, they changed the rules. Yeah. They changed the rules. Said you can't defend this way or something of that nature. So that's where I'm thinking the one comes in. The one comes in and said, no, you know these rules aren't going to apply to me mm-hmm. because I'm going to push these things to the limit and then I'm just going to be able to surpass them, not break them, but right. they're just not going to be able to apply. Because other than that, the Oracle would seem like, okay, I want you guys to stay enslaved, mm-hmm. and that's not the the idea that I get in any of the conversation of the Oracle with Neo. She says, "Look, there has to be some." There has to be some sort of balance where machines, where people can actually live together. It's almost the program that is, okay, for whatever reason, this program likes people. There's something about them, mm-hmm. okay, that she is attracted to, that she wants to see given a fair go, and that the only way it's going to work is if they're actually work, you know, working together. Mm-hmm. So the one is not something she could actually create because they couldn't create an idyllic place for them at the end of the day anyway. Mm-hmm. This is something that was going to happen. This was something that was going to happen. Whether she did anything or not, she was just trying to make the place viable so that they could keep people controlled. And then with the coming of the one, she's like, hey, you know, for whatever reason, this attracts her to it. And then she's going to make it vi- she's going to make it viable so they can get that particular opportunity. Because other than that, everything that she's telling him at this point, he doesn't necessarily need he doesn't necessarily need to hear. And everything that she's funneling. Well, I don't want to say funneling, but everything that she's giving him, especially at that point when she's telling, him, hey, look. If the whole idea is that he needs to be the one so they can keep this cycle going of Zion being destroyed, in the first movie, she should have been coaxing him every, you know, no, you can do it, you can do it. Instead, she leaves the choice up, she's going to leave the choice up to him, which of course is what she's saying. Look, they all need a choice, but if they need this to happen, they can't take any chances that he'll make the wrong choice. And it's the same thing right over here. The choice is still going to be him. And the dynamic between the two of them is that she seems to be so bloody pleased with this one. So if this is the sixth or seventh, you know, one, the sixth or seventh one that's come before her at this point, she realizes this is the one that she's been waiting for. This is the guy who's going to break the cycle, break the whole dynamic. So you know, that's the way I had looked at it and the, how I surmised it, the relationship between the two of them. Not that she's looking to be complicit and facilitate their, their, their servitude and connection to the matrix for the machines, but this is how this whole thing is going to be. This is how but, this whole thing is going to be broken. Was she the opposite? Was she a sympathizer for humanity and wanting them to all be free? I don't want to say. I don't want to say sympathizer, but someone who understands that this is not a population that we're ever going to be able to keep controlled. Okay, the fact that we have to give them a choice. 
shows that these are not beings that we're going to be able to control because once you're given a choice, some of them are going to want to not be connected. Some of them are going to want to be free. Some of them are going to realize that, hey, I don't have to follow the rules to this. And then they're going to be able to surpass the rules. Now, that's just, and again, this is a program. Programs are logical. Yeah. Okay. But if these programs, and this was shown in the Animatrix, if these programs are created by human beings, and they're created by human beings to try to, as much as possible, actualize, you know, because they're, they're not being, the programs aren't asked to be, they're not being asked to do things that are, outside of the human realm. They're actually, they're actually being asked to do things that we would normally do so we don't have to do it. Yeah. So they're still following very basic human functions. So if she's doing all of that, then maybe at some point she's surpassing whatever that programming is. Okay, because if she's being designed to say, okay, we have to find something, some way to you know, make these human beings stay in the pocket so we can use them for energy. Okay, so then when she looks at that's her program, then of course, eventually, well, if we're going to if I'm looking to find some way to get these guys together, eventually her program is going to realize, hey, this is not right. We can't keep doing it because that's where the final evolution of her program will going if these guys are actually sentient programs. Yeah. And after, I mean, after her uh, pep talk with Oracle, um, Angel Smith comes to find him in the playground. And this is like the playground bully coming to take it to, to, to Thomas, to Neo. Um, and we're getting more introduced into his agenda now. What was his agenda? I, I really am not sure. Now he's giving this long speech about purpose and, and him finding his purpose, which just seems to be pretty much in line with Neil's in the sense of like, you know, to be rebellious because he seems like he's not a part of the system anymore. And he's actually by his um, own creation, he is, um, he's rebelling. But his ultimate agenda is just to, I think at this point, Smith just becomes all it, um, which we see in Revelations um, when he, he just he, everybody's Agent Smith, and that seems to be his agenda by taking by putting his consciousness into, into at least one human being. He's going to take over the Matrix. He's going to take everybody over in the in the free world, and I, which is a little bit confusing to me because why would he still want to be in the Matrix at all? I figured he'd put his consciousness into a he would do a reverse uh, cipher, put himself once he put himself into the consciousness of that. Um, of one member of, of humanity, I thought he'd be done. But then again, yeah, I thought he'd be done. But, but, but then it makes me wonder, what was his home outside of the Matrix? Because he was a program, so if he, if he wasn't in the Matrix, what would his program be doing? Would he just want, uh, was he nihilistic? Did he just want not to exist, go back to not existing? Or was he just not a fan of existence? It's, it's hard to tell. But we get to see a great Rock'em Sock'em Oh, well, you did a better job than me. I was like agenda. I just thought the agenda was we okay. We got to set up this fight scene, <laughs> right? The better. Oh, someone asked the question: Why doesn't Neo just fight? Why doesn't he just fly away? Why did he just get away? Well, the whole idea of this fight scene is supposed to be showing that he doesn't get the chance. That they always have a hand on him. Mm. That he can't just fly away. You know, he's gonna have to fight. He's trying to beat them back so he can get the space he needs. And even when he gets thrown away, where okay, he should be able to fly right over here. No. They're on them at every single point. Now, I don't know how well that works. Yeah, not really. Okay, I don't know how that works, but they're supposed to be okay. He, they're just all over the place. I think the only time it really works is when they're literally all on him. And even then he shows, okay, I can just dig down yeah. deep, smack them all off, and then fly away at this portion. Which but means, Which means you could have smacked them away like you did with the walls in the end of the first movie. Well, I mean, it, it's not a great concept. It's not a great concept in terms of a villain. It's, well... Look, look at this fight scene. <laughs> That's what it is at the end of the day. Wow. And now we have him confronted by the 
current agents the new upgrades, and he takes them over too. And again, it's it, me, 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 me too. And it's a great line, and then he steps on a tomato, and, and then we uh, continue on with his fight. Let's go. Hmm. And you know, it's a good fight. Oh, no, no, good, excellent. My only, the only thing I didn't like was the CGI. I mean, at this point, I, I was like, uh, I, I got taken out because I, I know it's not even being doing those stunts. But in, in the, it, it, it does. I don't think in hindsight it doesn't work. At the time, they were trying to do something different. Yeah, you do, they're still trying to push the envelope and say that this is what we're doing to push the envelope in this film. Yeah, you know, they were trying. Look, let's do something different. We got all the stuff with the computer. Let's try this, and it wasn't like they didn't influence other people. It wasn't like we didn't see this in other films. Superman yeah. Returns, which borrows, especially with, with, from the flight, the flight scenes. Not some. I'm sorry, not fight scenes, but flight scenes. Borrowed heavily from the Matrix in terms of what the things that they could actually do and actualize in turning that CGI. But as much as it didn't work here, it didn't work there either. We look. We already know that the movie is not real. Once you make it fake inside of fake, you are really asking a lot out of us as human beings. We are willing to suspend disbelief to a certain extent, but if you're going to do that, then you might as well just make it a video game or you might as well make it animated. It's very, it's very hard. It works for, I think, creatures that aren't quite human. Like in the Lord of the Rings, when they do Gollum, that works. Okay, because Gollum is supposed to be something that no longer is more misshapen, not quite human any further. But Neo... I mean, we're looking right over here, and we can tell that's not him. As cool as it, that's not him. Your brain is telling you it's not real, not real, not real, not real, and you have to struggle against that with already knowing that this film is not real. It's double duty. That's part of the reason that, or at least for myself, it doesn't work. But hey, because even in that in the shot where he just like hits an agent and he goes hitting against the wall, literally, the the, the graphics break apart. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like I didn't. And here's the bigger problem. What we really loved in the first Matrix movie was that these guys were doing their own scenes. Okay, it was all them. Right. They were doing all the choreography themselves. And we can see from right here that Keanu Reeves can do all the shots himself, rather, himself. He can do everything that's necessary for it. So when you throw in the CGI, it's like, well, you know, again, one of the best things was these guys were trained. They can take this down. It adds to the believability. We have to suspend disbelief that much less. Instead, Again, you know, you're asking for double duty right here, and it takes away at the end of the day. Right, and I mean, I mean, you great. You can see him using the staff to hit people, but then once he goes to the you know level of like, okay, now he's. Well, I actually like this part. (laughs) You like the part where he did the kick? No, I I liked it. There's no, for me, that's CGI. That's where you actually need it. But the technology isn't there. The technology is not there to make it look real. Okay, it's not there. So at one point, it's like, okay, cool, but it's a video game. It's something that a gamer would definitely appreciate, not necessarily a person who isn't into video games. Now we have the pylon scene that you talked about, where he's going to, like, you know, he telling me it's inevitable. No, it's not, man, because I'm the one. And I don't know why we have to even cut the Trinity saying, come on, get up, because, like, he tell himself that. Well, she's not, I don't know if she was actually speaking to him in that instance. It reminds me of... It does remind me of super, the dynamic between Superman and Lois Lane to a certain extent, where sometimes, you know, they'll throw Lois Lane in there to reassure him or to do these things. And they're like, dude, you're Superman. You know, you don't really need anybody t- to tell you, hey, come on, you know, 
bring it out, you know, one yeah. more time for the gusto, or do it for the Gipper. It actually takes away from the character. You're Superman. You can do that type of stuff on your own. But I, in that scene, I didn't really feel that she was speaking directly to him, but I'm not 100% certain because she wasn't plugged in. Yeah. So I didn't know if he could actually hear, I didn't know if he could actually hear or anything. And now we're out of the Matrix, where mm. we've only been... So what are we now in? Are we, are we even an hour in? No, we're, we're coming up on an hour. And within an hour's time, we have spent less time in the Matrix than we did in the first film. And that is the draw. Okay? That is the draw of the film. So if we're not getting time there, we're getting a lot of talk. We're getting a lot of extra characters. I'm getting... Tired. You know, and I, I want something to happen. I don't need to see all of these. You other want to see things. the council scene where they talk about deliberating what what they, what they can do, what they can't do. No, I don't want to see any more of this because all it's showing me is that you guys are okay. You're fine. You guys are bickering like you normally would. <laughs> and then it reminds us, okay, this is why you people got plugged in in the first place because you can't get on with each other. We can't make decisions in our best interest. There's always somebody who has to be contrary. There's always somebody who has to disagree, even when it's pretty clear what we need to do. What do we need to do? We need to support these guys over here. No, let's argue about it. No, this is our best hope. Our best hope is not that we can fight off the machines with the technology that we have. That's not going to work. The best that we can do is hope to defend ourselves long enough for these guys to pull it out and come through. Either we have faith, and that is something that's also missing, that theme that was running through the first film. Okay, we don't get to that until maybe like the late in the second act right. of this of this one of the Matrix Reloaded. But that theme that was running through, it's either we have faith in Morpheus, okay, and we're supposed to have faith. He's speaking to the people. The people seem to have faith. The council, of course, right. doesn't have any faith. But the people have faith. It's either we have faith in Morpheus and in his faith in Neo being the one. And these guys are going to get the job done. No, we can't support these guys because we got to believe in the technology that's not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work. We can't beat these machines. That's why we're here. That's why we're here hiding from them. If, if, if anything, this sequence right here should be, okay, how are we going to escape? What's our exit strategy? Where can we go and hide? They're after us. How many people can we get someplace else in case this fails? That's a little bit better right here. But again, the whole idea is setting up the general to be the antagonist for Morpheus all because they both have been in love with the same woman. Right. It falls flat with me at the end of the day. And once again, Roy Jones Jr., what the hell are you doing in this film, Roy Jones Jr.? More, you know, it's just more profiling at the end of the day and needless profiling. We have about, oh goodness, we're the first, okay, we're about an hour in. So, and I apologize for all the moaning, but hey, I hope you're still with me. I hope you're still with us. <laughs> if you cut out everything that I've moaned about, you've cut out about, let's see, out of the first hour, maybe a good half an hour, yeah. a good half an hour at this point. So now you've got, if you still keep the, you still got to have about 90 minutes, 110 minutes, yeah. okay, of better, of better film. We don't, I don't care about this. I don't care that you guys used to be in love and now you're going to come over here and do this and that some things change and something. I don't care. Yeah. Get back to the Matrix. And and they and they do eventually get back into into the matrix. Oh, oh my God! Because like yeah, you're right. I, I actually like I didn't have a problem with the movie till I'm rewatching it now. Like there's just so many new layers and so many of it, so much of it is just filling. And um, the, yeah. and, uh, the, at least like 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 that scene we just saw right there, where yeah. the other people want to get in the lift, and he just shakes his head like, "Don't get like that damn right." The Trinity. That's what I want to see. Yeah. There's nobody else from the crew alive. 
okay, these, it's like, okay, we got three Ishmael. There was like, like Moby Dick or what have you. These are the three survivors. These are our three most important characters. These guys are central to the story. Give me them. Give me as much of them as you can. Separate them as little bit as you need to. That's what I want to see. Okay, remember, if you remember the last, not that last scene, but Morpheus escapes and then all three of them have to work together, but their belief, their faith, their trust in each other shows why they're indispensable, okay, to the story, that they all can just rely on each other. So We're not more, given you, that. You wanted more of that. I, I'd rather more of that than watching some general be pissy over the fact that, oh, hey, you know, is, uh, you, know you with my girl? I don't care. And that was more just to set up the contention, which I'm not even saying it was necessary, but to set up the contention that not everybody believes in the one. Yeah, that was something that they had there before, um, but they were they were rescuing people before and and, and started their own society. It wasn't it wasn't um, predicated on um, needed that the one really exists. That was something personally that um, Morpheus and those people closest to him who really rode with him believed that. But again, Cypher, there's, there's more people who are not necessarily like Cypher. They're not going to go kill people or like, you know, betray Zion. But they don't necessarily believe that um, Neo's the one or that he's necessary to... Uh, but to we're, we're not given that. We're not given any faction of people who are like, I don't believe this and we should be running. You know, we're not given that, which might have been better. Okay, we're saying people over here like, hey, they're offering them, you know, they're making offerings, food, this, please do this, please do that. So we're not given that at, in, any particular, in any particular portion. So... It, it's it's hard. It's hard to reconcile at the end of the day. So we get a new character in here. One of the few that actually new characters actually like the Merovingian, loved him. I love I love the other character that was introduced. Um, I forget the actress's name right now, but she's she's amazing. I'll give you her last name, Bellucci. Oh yes, Monica, Monica Bellucci. She is she is great. I, 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 always, I always had a question her from other other movies. I notice you find certain characters great and certain characters I don't hear about from you. Just one, just her presence. Something she brings, something she brings to the table, um, that she's able just to like come in there, and she, you're just totally you're taken by when you see her. And then the fact her presence, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. You mean presence, not presence, right? Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Okay. Not like gifts. No, no, no. But I think I think she is a gift. You think she's gifted? That too. And I really like the fact that she like it was even like a little in joke that of course you know there's some scene in which. You know, she has to, she has to, Neo has to kiss her, you know. You're damn right he has to kiss her. <laughs> you're damn right. Well, come on, you're going to waste this? No. It was like when, uh, what was it, uh, Salma Hayek was on Saturday Night Live once. And I think that was the most kissing scenes I have ever seen on Saturday Night Live. I think once they were like, hey, uh, can we somehow work a kiss scene in here? And Salma was like, okay, you know, no problem, guys. I get it. You know, I'm Salma Hayek. I'm very hot. You're very attracted to me. Right. You know, this may be a fantasy realized for all of you. So, okay, I'll do a couple of kiss scenes. No big deal. And right. we're, we're good. And once again, we have the... Is that the... This isn't the same blonde from the... No. That's not the same blonde from the first movie. Maybe just supposed to be some reminder of her. But it would be great if she had been in the red dress or if they had gotten the same woman. But again, the Merovingian, one of the few characters... Well, I guess, you know, you like Monica Bellucci's character, uh, Persephone. For, for obvious reasons. I, however, like the Merovingian because he came across as French, arrogant bastard. <laughs> now, if you're in the States, you know, of course, during the time of George Bush, we were like, oh, you know, France and, you know, freedom fries and blah, blah, blah. That was some, some real BS. You go to Europe, okay, then you understand why people have such a problem with the French. And look at the map of Europe, okay? 
Every country there on the map reviewer tends to be a lot smaller than France. Why? Because France is bigger because France at one point owned all the rest of that stuff. Between Napoleon and all the, they had annexed all of that. So a lot of the resentment they have is thanks to all the wars that France waged and won and so on and so forth. So, you know, there's a little bit of that. But, you know, I went to France, got to go to Paris, really great people, but love the language and love the whole air that comes along with it. Because especially the people try to slap them with World War II and so on and so forth. But he's some real good people and they understand, you know, they have a really big history behind them. So anytime he was talking, yeah. it just, you know, really reminded me of that. You know, and, you know... My, my French is not as good as my French is definitely not as good as him. Was that scene really necessary? I guess so. <laughs> not as good, but I was trying to emulate some of the stuff where he was saying, you know, those sorts of things. I just really, that's just me. That's just me being a Frenchophile. You know, I was okay. I think I've said too much. <laughs> and they're talking about, like, and again, they're trying to bring back the philosophy. I'm not even sure if the philosophy. Causality? Yeah, was that, was that needed for the theme of this? Again, this part I was fine with because it actually gave me something to think about. Mm. And that's the part of the Matrix Reloaded I felt that worked because it goes, it's a dueling theme when you finally get to it. It's a dueling theme as opposed to the first film. Where in the first film, you know, it's about destiny and, and belief. You know, those sorts of things come in. You know, self-realization, all of those things coming in. Where over here is like, well, wait a minute. What you know? What if we juxtapose that whole belief in destiny with just causality? You know, I, you didn't open that umbrella. You didn't open that umbrella because you know you it was your destiny. You opened it because it rained. Okay, I'm getting ready to go to the toilet right over here. And I'm, why am I going to the toilet? Because I drank this wine, so I got to go relieve myself at the end of the day. No, he's going to the bathroom because he said that program, that young lady, that young lady program. Mm -hmm. And he's going to go do what he's going to do. And therein is it. Well, of course, there's, the, there's going to be the causality of what happens over here. Now, of course, this does play in because, and this was a good sequence because right here, the Merovingian is talking about causality and so on and so forth. They get shut down. They came over to get the key master. He's like, I'm not giving you anything, okay? You guys can just get out. That's what I'm giving you. I'm giving you the door. You guys can go. However, now Morpheus is like, He's like, well, I guess this was wrong. Morpheus, again, is the rock. He's like, no, everything happened exactly what it was supposed to. Everything is exactly what it's supposed to be. If the, or, if, you know, if, if, you know we, did, we, didn't, we couldn't have done anything differently. Once again, he's that pillar of belief. Okay? He believes very good in his destiny, and then it's rewarded. Okay? But it's rewarded thanks to what? That causality. Because the Merovingian can't yeah. keep it in his pants, yeah. Persephone gets cheesed off, and now she's going to come over here and help these two guys out. But and not before she gets a kiss from Neo in front of Trinity. And Trinity just has to deal with it. And he's like, look, don't worry. You know, I've got this. And, you know. and then she's like, nope. Don't give me that fake kiss. I don't know. I, I don't know how he's going to get away with that anyway. He's like, okay, mwah. And he's like, no, no. He's like, no, you're going to have to make me believe it. And that's when I was like... Well, know. if you go with the scene, should Persephone... Okay, because this was something that I thought a lot of people just kind of glossed over. But these are programs. Can programs actually fall in love with each other? Mm. Can programs actually have that sort of emotional experience with each other to the point that she wants to experience it? That was very glossed over. Is this thing even possible? And why is it glossed over? Because we're too busy looking at the hotness that is Monica Bellucci right over here. Yes, she is. Um, and I, I think that that also is... I mean, we're kind of giving a glance like at how human all these programs are. You have programs who, who, who are greedy, programs who are like, you know, 
like, you know, revolutionary, and we have some programs who are jealous and spiteful and resentful, and programs like Monica Bellucci, who are beautiful, and, uh, yeah, well, that's me, I'm sorry, guys, I'm just gonna gush over uh, Monica Bellucci, she's awesome, she's a great actress, again, we're still in this scene, you know, she's challenging Neo, she is jealous of the love that she, or the passion that she sees between, um, Neo and um, Trinity, and she even foreshadows like, look, you know, I envy you. I envy you that love because such a thing cannot exist um, forever. Which we already know why she said that and what that means. But uh, yeah, no. What does that mean? It means that she, Trinity's gonna die. How do we know that? Or How some, do we know or, that? Or, or, or somebody's gonna die. Or he takes over shades. So, okay. Well, it's got to be real now. Mm-hmm. And Trinity gulps because she's like, oh, man. Now, of course, for those of us who understand some behind-the-scenes stuff, Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves are actually dating at this portion. They were? Yeah, they were dating. Okay, they were involved. I don't, well, you know what? I know they had a relationship. I don't know if they were still involved at this mm. point. So, you know, we have definitely life reflecting the art because if, she, if they were still involved at this time, she was, you know, watching her boyfriend snug Monica Bellucci in either sequence. And Neo does the job. You know why? Because he's the one. That's right. Kiss the lipstick off. Yeah, he did. Wow, she really enjoyed it. All right. Now, now we're going to move on. And even he looks a little bit like, okay, I kind of maybe liked it a little bit too. Whatever. It's Monica Bellucci. What's not yeah. to enjoy? And she's, wow. I love the, um, the shadowing they did on her face. She's kind of like evilly peering out from over his shoulder at her. Like, yeah. It was a dark prophecy she's letting him know. You know, as you said, nothing. This is not meant to last. And of course, she's just looking like, hey, I would love to shoot you in the head right now. Yeah. And now we um, get taken to the, to the, um, to the depths of the uh, restaurant, which leads into his private chamber, his kingdom. And then we get introduced to even more programs um, and the idea of what monsters are. And like, so you're Frankenstein. I think we actually meet like Frankenstein, um, the werewolf. <laughs> um, huh? Yeah. The, the, some of the programs. Some of the programs were based off of the, um, well, they'll, they'll explain that as we come up to that scene. But, um, and I think two of them get killed. And she, she needs literally to kill them. Like, here we go. They're going to explain it now, the, the monsters. The, and, and these are them. And uh, she breaks down the work and, and the, where the programs come and, and the different levels of some of the programs and uh, the, scary, the scary stories and stuff like that. Because it, it, it was a much older version of The Matrix. And then she looks at me, she kills them to kind of set an alarm, which is going to bring the Mary uh, back. But, uh, you know, go on with what you said. What, how are these programs linked to, like, the monsters, like Werewolf Frankenstein? Explain that. I don't know if it was the, myth uh, the mythology around, uh, around them. Um, yeah, I, I, I really, like, I'm hard-pressed right now in a moment to explain it, but I just remember that they were explaining that those were the, or was it her who explained it fully, or was it even the... Um, uh, the Oracle who explained it, the idea of these um, these scary stories and these myths and it, and it was their job to kind of scare people to kind of keep them in line and now we're going into the, even to the, to even lower depths of where you know um, the key maker is being held and she you know with a nice beautiful pivot and pose <laughs> she she just points him because she had a model background she had to you know, show what she could do well what is Monica Bellucci doing here she's doing Roy, jo Roy Jones Jr she's profiled Okay, she's a name. Look, Monica Bellucci is very attractive woman, and I have no problem looking at very attractive women. It's a pastime. 
However, in terms of what she contributes overall to the story, not a lot. You know, the Merovingian, yes, I could see why he's needed because he's holding the key master. Even the key master, to a certain extent, plays a better role. But then we had people here who were just, you know, here. Why? Well, some of it is okay. We want to have, if we have Roy Jones Jr., that may bring some people in. Hey, Roy Jones Jr., boxing fan, this, that, and the other. So that we're trying to cast a wide net to bring people in. Mm -hmm. Monica Bellucci, hey, Monica Bellucci is an internationally known actress. She's very popular across the world. Let's put her in. Let's put her in and make certain we can cast as big of a net. Even the Merovingian is a very well-known actor whose, again, name escapes me, unfortunately. But it was casting this particular, it was casting this wide net where the Merovingian has a particular role to play. And of course, Monica Bellucci's role as Persephone has a role to play, but it's so marginal and contrived in what we see overall with the, what we see overall with the story just doesn't make a whole bunch of sense and not necessary and not needed, even though, yeah, you enjoy looking at her. Nice eye candy, but not really crucial to the story. Yeah, I think Monica, just like, you know, we met the Wachowskis and asked, like, you know, can I, can I, have, a little, can I have a role in here? And I like, and I like what they made definitely made better use of her than they did Roy, Roy Jones Jr. And I think she she added a nice little balance to like you know to um, showing the, the dynamic between her and Merovingian. They they have a loving committed relationship, but they they just but he's going to like mess around on her because it's just, just programs like why you caught up. So okay, yeah, that's a game. This is a game too, and and they play and they play it willingly. Hmm. Well, now. Okay, here's where the critical mind has to fight with the person that just likes to see a good fight scene that's very well executed. Did I enjoy this scene? Yes. Was it necessary? No way. These guys should not be any problem for Neo. I don't care what version of the Matrix they may have all come from. I don't care if they are working for the Merovingian. But it works because we're able to see two different things going on. We're able to see Trinity and Morpheus trying to achieve something mm. while Neil's trying to achieve something as well. It's a good, it was a good idea to split them apart. And again, it's the Trinity working, so I was definitely on board with it. But these guys over here aren't doing anything that superb that we should feel that Neil should have any issue with them. Yeah. You know, th th should he have gotten that close with the sword? We see some blood over here. See, you know, no, no, at the end should of the we day. Should have even seen blood? Hmm, I, I, yes, no, that's a hard one for me to answer because, it, to be quite frank, we shouldn't even see this fight scene. The fact that he stops the bullets when he's shown already, hey, he could stop as many bullets as he wants to. He can do a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, later on, he's going to, like, command stuff off the wall. Yeah, you could command stuff off the wall into someone, right? He picks these particular, you know, he picks these particular weapons. It definitely shows, okay, he, he's a weapons master, and it gets to show Keanu Reeves doing some really nice choreography some great fighting but here we needed something else here we needed a larger idea as to what it means to be the one and what he can do overall with his abilities great fight scenes cool in this sequence right over here it might have been better if he was fighting the merovingian and the merovingian has complete control over this environment because it belongs to him. Right. And these guys are fighting now for supremacy of the environment. The Merov where Neo can do whatever he wants with the Matrix, the Merovingian is on his level so long as he he's here, he can do whatever he wants with there. And then they have to contend with each other, reforming this particular world, reshaping, 
He creates agents. Neo creates agents. They're just going at each other, and it's the person who is the most imaginative, the person who is the most creative, who's going to win this particular battle. So that's the type of thing I might have done here, as opposed to yet another fight scene. And I, what I really have to appreciate, like it's, it's fun watching fight scenes because you're looking at Neo, and you can even understand why he has the shades on at this point in time, because it's like, look, he's, he's he, this is fight choreography. With, with, with like big ass spike, the big spike swords and, and spears, and you kind of almost see um, the actor's face like pushing past, like not necessarily a fear, but it's like, yo, this any at any moment, let me stay focused. So you just utmost focus in doing these fight scenes to make sure that they come off without a hitch, and no one, especially himself, is, is uh, not injured. <laughs> okay, okay, I wasn't thinking on that. I think I think the acting would have been a little bit harder for him to pull off if he didn't have those shades on. And yeah, <laughs> he takes him out. I, I wish the Merovingian could have uh, been a villain uh, longer, but you can also see why he's in Revelations as well, right? Yeah, at the in the first act. Right. So you can see why he got he got onto the first act. We 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 liked him. He was cool. Um, but again, why is he, why is Neo not fast enough to get to these doors, and why is these doors stopping him? You can't blow him away. Well, this I thought was good. I mean, he didn't get to the door on he didn't get to the door on time. Fine, but the whole idea that closing the door opens up right there mm -hmm. that was better. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was better than what we were shown with Seraph. Where okay, I open this door, it leads over here, and again that the, the Merovingian is like, look, I have complete control over this. When I close the door, it's going to open up some. It's going to open up someplace, not necessarily where you want. A closed door, you know, means that control is no longer yours it's it's something that i can't even put my mind to because these guys are going to end up closing the door as well now i did like these programs that's the best i can say i can't call them agents because these are the upgrades that you have to contend with those are some real upgrades okay you can't even touch them what's the sense how do you go over that if the one can come over here and yeah. get into the body we'll make it so you can't get into the body you have to find some other, those are great upgrades and neo doesn't even face them Morpheus and Trinity end yeah. up facing them. And, you know, well, you've seen the film already. We know what the outcome is going to be over there. But they were creative. It was imaginative. And that imagination wasn't spread evenly through, unfortunately, throughout this. But, again, at this point, this film has picked up the action. Okay, and we're about to get into the, probably the best sequence of the film. This sequence is great. If, you wanna, if you're a fan of chase scenes... Okay, if you remember, and I mean, you'd have to be a real fan of chase scenes. You've seen Bullet with Steve McQueen. You saw Ronan and that great chase scene with uh, Robert De Niro. This is one of the, for me, one of the all-time great mm -hmm. car scenes, chase scenes. It's executed so well. They spend a lot of time on this. You can see it. It pays off. There's more of them in the sequence. They were able to perform a lot of the stunts right over here. Neo's absent from it, but it also builds up his character very well because he's Superman right over here. Okay, He does exactly what the archetypical hero is necessary needed to do. And it also brings in Harold Perrineau's character as the everyman. So it's just a, it's, it's a really good scene, a sequence rather, in, in terms of what goes right here. Yeah. And then also, I have questions in terms of like, what are the power levels of these programs, and how powerful is the Merovingian? Could the Merovingian mess with Neo? I mean, obviously, like he's not um, this, this depowered Neo that we're seeing in these movies. Um, but it almost seems that the Merovingian could go toe to toe with uh, Neo for a little bit if he if if he if he wanted to. Um, yeah, you have the car chase scene. Wow, this movie. Watching it again is making me realize how long this movie is. 
Um, and whereas, like, what keeps it going is the action, the lack of uh, cohesion in the, in the in the plot, and uh, it's just like it's it's a little bit of work watching this uh, watch this again. But you you always can always think to like, okay, what's the scene I have coming up to look forward to? And definitely with this, you're looking forward to seeing the chasing. I didn't really care so much for the chasing. It wasn't so much a chasing, but it was everything that came along with it. So like, you got to see. The fight inside of the car when the ghost when the albino program uh, twins come when it comes inside the car and they're fighting inside the car. You also have the great fight scene with the agent on top of the of the trailer. Just watching Morpheus, which I think was his big scene when he like jumps out um, and actually takes on the 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 programs, you know, by taking out a samurai sword. Like how like I mean, talking about raising. Morpheus icon status, man. Having to do pull out a samurai sword was just like kind of because you know what? As far as he is, he very much seems to uh, to be um, a samurai. And for him pulling out uh, the sword to take out these villains, so something so low tech to take out these high tech villains was like a very powerful thing. But right now they're getting onto the one on one highway, which is like okay, guys, you're really pushing him with the one on one theme. Like they went to the one, the hundred and first floor to meet the Merovingian, and now they're getting on the one on one. Like, okay, guys, are you doing it just to do it? At this point, the one on one was symbolic of of Neo's level um, of and progression in the first movie. Not sure what the one on one symbolizes in this. Maybe it's just like about LA, the joke about LA traffic, and they really are just on the one on one. And then, like you know, again, props to. Um, the, the new um, person, uh, Harold Harold's character, because he's not seeing any of this, and he has to react to it as if he is. No, he is seeing it. He's just the same as Cypher. He can, when he looks at the code... No, I mean the actor. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and Harold Perrin in terms of actor. Okay, okay, right, okay. Right. Like, literally just being like, ah, that's great, that's great. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like... Well, he's, a, he's doing a good job of being that everyman. It, if you're a fan of The Flash... The everyman on the show, at, at least initially, was Cisco. Where mm. Cisco was the, you know, Cisco was the guy who would come and you know he'd be the nerd or the geek, and anytime Barry would do something well, I'd be like, yeah, he's done it. Okay, that's for all of us. Like, wow, this, you know, he's reminding us of how cool it is and expressing it through, you know, mean it, mean it, verbally do it the same way as him or in any way the same way as him. But that is the reaction that the majority of us would have to something cool, and so he plays it out pretty well. Yeah, and, and again. Um this scene, is, this scene is fairly long. They're still fighting. And we haven't even gotten to the scene where Trinity gets a, on a motorcycle and is riding, is riding the key, the key, the key maker, or the key master around. Oh, we haven't even gotten to the scene where the agent's jumping on top of the car. So there is a lot. I think the sequence in almost maybe it's like a, arguably at least 20 minutes, I would say. For the moment they leave. Well, do you feel the time though? You know, if it's twenty minutes, do you like? Does it drag or does it flow? I feel it a little bit. Why? For me, it didn't. I didn't feel this at all. This was a great. It, it just flowed. Only because, only because you're tired because of the hour that already passed. <laughs> no, this picked up for me. This yeah. like reinvigorated me, gave me more energy. Uh, again, look at all the stuff that they've got. The in-car fight chase. Yeah, that, that was. All oh, right, that the in-car fight chase, the in-car fighting. Okay, and for me, it was like, okay, the guys had, come on, I, the, the, the camera work is great here because they've got to do this so you yeah. as the audience get to feel it. You feel how tight it is. You feel how constricted it is. And he's got a knife, mm -hmm. okay, and that knife can come over. But Morpheus, at no point do you ever see him sweat. 
He's like, no, he's going to keep fighting. And who's he fighting against? He's fighting against one of these superior programs. This guy is worse than an agent. And he's still going against it at this point. Now, I, what I thought they did very good with those agents was that the only way they can actualize their most deadly ability is for them to go transparent. So if he wants to kill him, he has to be able to put his hands on him. And everything he's doing never shows Morpheus beating him down, being superior. Everything is okay. I'm just playing for time. I'm able to do stuff. You can't kill me by going intangible. You've got to be able to put a hand and you've, and this sequence over here works because where he was fighting Agent Smith and the environment wasn't working with him, he's able to get the strap. I can hold his hand. Okay, he cuts that. I've got this chair right over here giving me some shield so I can use that to dodge. I can use that to block to a certain extent. And then the other agent gets involved. So, you know, we have some things going over here which a lot, gives me some plausible... Some, some plausible reasons as to why this could be over here different. And he's just struggling until the end. And the only way this guy can do these things, okay, you want to save yourself from being killed, you've got to go intangible, that gets rid of him. Right. So this was good thinking in terms of how they were sequenced. These guys are deadly, but the, one of their best abilities is also their biggest weakness. Okay, you can go intangible so I can't kill you, but that takes you off, that takes you off the grid. That takes you out of the picture. You feel like I can't physically harm you when I'm intangible. No, you can't harm me, but I can't harm you. And you can't physically stay with me when you're intangible. You're gone. Right. Okay, you've got to come back over here and you've got to come back and catch up. So, you know, well thought out villains, but also well thought out villains in th through the fact that the heroes have a chance against them. They're not, complete, they're not completely going to be outclassed. You know, it allows us to, su allows us to suspend disbelief well and at the same time be on the edge of your seat. Yeah. Yeah, and again... I mean, I don't even want to overthink it too much in terms of the hierarchy of the of the villains, um, or the programs, and how and, and and at this point, what is the job of the agents, other than just to be um, antagonists for um, for our, for our heroes? Okay, now great scene. Trinity takes the keymaster, jumps off the highway onto uh, oncoming trailer. Um, with, with loads of um, motorcycles that she will use. Oh my goodness! That was great. That was great. What's this? <laughs> Morpheus pulls out the sword. He's like crush him. He's not even afraid. He's oh, he's just oh, he's just standing there. Oh, it's so sweet, so sweet. Now this gets even better today because he cuts it with the samurai sword, gets up to finish him off with the hole he put into the the gas tank, and now he's shooting at it. Oh, this is just sweet. This is just too sweet. He cuts it so it makes the car flip. And now he's shooting the gas. Oh, it's oh, it's oh, it's oh, it's so nice. Oh, these guys are gone. And you're out of here. You're out of here. Yeah. And once again, we're showing that these... You. Why weren't they able to reform? Because if they reformed, they would have been in that gas cloud. Right. Okay, they're in the gas cloud. If you reform, you're going to get burned up. So eventually they had to reform, but they're, so they're out. Yeah. They're taken out of the whole... They're taken out of the picture, so we don't have to deal with them. Whatever happens to them, we don't know. But they're taken off the grid. Smart. Okay, good writing, effective, and it's a great scene for Morpheus as well. If Trinity was great jumping off, Morpheus is excellent for just having that sequence right there and being smart. Never says die, never do we get to see him sweat, and that's what you want to see from a principal character like him. You really want to see, look, what is it about this guy that everybody else is willing to follow? Even Neo, who's the one, is willing to follow him. That's very important. It's like Captain America on the Avengers, where he's the leader. Captain America's, you know, arguably the weakest member of the Avengers, but his leadership yeah. is something that compels everybody else to follow. He's able to inspire despite any lack that we may see in terms of his abilities. Right. Not that, uh, not necessarily there's anything lacking. Great scene, and 
in, in some ways, a sort of give back for what he had to go through in the first film where Morpheus really takes it on the chin yeah. in that fight with agents. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, but it's, again, we never get to see how capable he... We get to see him fight against Neo, who's not uh, fully realized and hasn't done any fight work before. Then we get to see the Agent Smith thing, and of course he has to be... Uh, he has to take it on the chin right there, so we get to see how good Agent Smith is. Here we get to see how good... Morpheus is. Even in that scene where, where he's using the samurai sword and some people go, well, hey, wouldn't the sword break? Not if you know anything about samurai made. Those weapons were very, very, very well made. And you have to remember that these cars today are not like the 1970s or 80s cars where it was totally metal. A lot of that's fiberglass. So he would have been able to cut through Okay, and, um, this is probably me going too deep into it, but he would have been able to cut through, get the tire. It's definitely possible, and it allows me to suspend disbelief and just enjoy the hell out of myself. Morpheus was ace. Yeah, definitely so. Um, Trinity, Trinity, uh, I'm, try, I'm trying to like see, like, she looks like she's doing some of those stunts herself um, on that bike, which is crazy. There's some. I can tell where she's there and when she's not. Yeah. Again, when you saw it the first time, nobody notices. Okay, right. nobody notices the first time. Okay, sweet. We got Morpheus on. Oh man, it looks cool. On top, on top of the trailer. And we, what do we get here? We get the, the same. Yeah, yeah, we get the teamwork that they had in that first film. They don't know what the other person is going to do. Okay, she's coming at them. Okay, Morpheus comes down over here, and everybody just executes. Yeah. Okay, moments notice. Everybody just executes. Okay, he's taking off his jacket. Why? I don't know. Okay, he's cool. He's, he's cool. <laughs> he's gonna kick some butt. Tree's like, nah, nah, nah. You can't catch me. Hey, I don't think anybody fell for it. They're like, yeah, we don't want to catch. Yeah, look, she means nothing. We already know, but that's good because there's nothing else for her to do. She's done her part. Okay, they're playing hot potato with the key master now. Okay, we got to see her sequence. Big sequence right over here. Oh, yeah. Now we remembered what happened the last time Morpheus fought an agent, but remember. That was the top agent. That was Agent Smith. And there's no way that he would ever be able to contend with Agent Smith right now. We have also seen earlier, Morpheus is no punk. He fought Agent Smith. Okay? This is not a guy who says die. He's going to come over here. He's going to give it his all. He knows that this dude, he already knows this dude is not someone that he can really contend with. He's not hurting him in the slightest. What is he doing? What is he trying to do? Keeping him busy. Yeah, he's keeping him busy. He's just trying to get this dude away at any point. Okay, he understands, look, any good strike is all he's going to do is, the best he can do is get this guy away. Give it up to him. It's a great fight scene. And, okay, where are my martial artist exponents over here? What do you see? Okay, Morpheus, definitely Taekwondo when he's not doing those sequences right here. <laughs> okay, not, not when we see these, uh, the, the, the stagecraft that we're seeing over here. But the use of the Taekwondo, excellent. Morpheus is also using, if, if I'm correct, definitely some crane. That's, yeah, yeah, definitely some crane that comes no, over. No, with the hand-to-hand? -hand? No, no. Crane will also use, all, the, all of the martial arts styles basically develop from Shaolin, from those five animal styles. Okay, so crane will then become Wing Chun, and even like, it, Wing Chun was actually developed by one of a, a Shaolin monk, female monk, uh, was developed by her so you know i can detect those particular things uh, but that's just you know that's just the uh, the martial arts geek in me who really wants to dissect it he so of course and again we move on wonderful that we realize okay morpheus can't take this guy hand to hand needs a weapon okay and he's still got the weapon it allows him to stay in the game what is he doing again 
all of this, okay, he's just trying to keep up the fight. All of this is just strictly a play for freaking time. And he lets us know this later on. I won't give it away just right now. You've already seen the film, so I probably can't, you know, big anything on you at this portion. But hey, Morpheus did his best. He lost his balance. And who comes to steal his thunder? This was the first sign that she was going to steal his thunder. How much better would this scene have been if Morpheus had found some way to hold on his own? But, hey, teamwork, right? Yeah. So she comes in. She's going to allow him to get back into the game. Like, Keymaster plays, Key yeah. plays it well. He's going to play for time as well. It, it kind of robs because he was doing such a good job on his own and then for him to be taken out because he lost his balance and there was nothing else that he could have done. If Niobe wasn't there and he was just able to turn around, see the car bounce back on on his own, but we still get it. Okay, Morpheus comes back in. Once again, you know, when we see those great sequences, that's his move. And he gets rid of the dude. This is the same way that Neo beat Agent Smith in the first film. He wasn't able to take him out, subjugate him. He was able just to get him away. And then once he got away, the guy had to be transported to a new body. Not that this guy was transported that far, just like Agent Smith wasn't transported too far either. But great scene for Morpheus. As you can tell from my voice, I loved that sequence. It was great to see that character realized because... Again, this is the best fighter. We finally get to see what it is about Morpheus that was so great. One of the reasons why, hey, when he can't run, why he's still able to pull this particular rabbit out of the hat. Some people, some people will disagree, and of course, if we're going to go metatextual with it, we understand why it's being done. But here again was what he was hoping for. All of that fight sequence was like, look, at some point, Neo, you know, Neo's going to show up. He's going to be able to pull. All I got to do is keep this long enough. Okay, because in the worst moments, when everything else goes wrong, when all help is gone, who's going to come out? That's right. Yes. Okay, archetypical hero. That's the archetypical hero when all else fails, when everything else is gone. What do we as human beings still hope? That somebody is going to come and help us. Somebody's going to come save us. Somebody's going to rescue us at the end of the day. So all of that fighting, if you were wondering, well, what was Morpheus fight? He couldn't think he could beat this guy. No, the whole idea is, look, I just got to hold out long enough. Neil's going to show up. Neil's going to save the day. And it plays into his character because Morpheus believes in Neo top to bottom, stem to stern, there is no issue with it. And his faith in Neo is always rewarded, and we got it in that scene once more. Yep. And now, uh, come back to what we really love to see, more Zion! Yeah, I've been waiting for this. Uh, more Zion. <laughs> <laughs> more, more Sentinels have to raise the stakes, because we're close to the third act. I think it's maybe one... This is third act. This is third act. Is, doesn't, he, doesn't he have to try? Isn't this like the, the prep before the third act? It's like this has to happen in terms of the scene where they go in and the key maker. This is it. This is the third act. Now oh. they're gonna go at least from okay. Well, I want him and however. I think this is the third act. Yeah. yeah. This, this is a, this is this is quite a thick uh, movie. This I think this is a version written by Stephen King. I don't know. We get a we get a we get a lot of bang for our buck. You get a lot of visuals, a lot of different scenes. Um. In terms of the story, wow. I would love to see what they would do if they had the time to do the script over. I would really love to see that. Um, I think they could have maybe gotten some tighter um, symbol, symbols um, and some deeper, better, clearer philosophy. I'm really, if they had time to do the script, I'm sure this would have been so 
so much cleaner. And even as it is, it's still a very entertaining movie. That's the one thing you cannot say about Reloaded is you can't say it's not entertaining. It's very entertaining. I'll sound like Morpheus here, but I don't think they would have. I don't think it would have been any different. Mm. The I mean, the only way it would have been different is if you gave him 10 years to do the remake, and that wasn't going to happen. Mm. And if they had an unobstructed view towards making this remake, and that wasn't going to happen. And part of that is because of the success of the first film. And that's something that you just have to deal with. Not every film gets to, not every film gets to have a sequel and be Empire Strikes Back where, okay, it surpasses the first one. Right. A lot of times, look, you just can't improve over the original, but you're on... I mean, the money and the success puts you on this path, and a lot of times it's just this inertia wave that carries you through it. This is what it was. This is what it's always going to... I just don't feel it could have been any different because you had the success of the first one. Once you have that, you get put on this particular path where we have to make this film. We have to make this film in a certain amount of time. We have to have these people in it. We have to show this. We have to do that. Instead of, okay, I'm just going to leave you guys alone, come up with a good movie whenever you're ready. These, well, the people are like, well, look, when is that going to be? we got to operate on this now. This is hot. Okay, this is hot now. Eventually, people are going to forget about it and come back. And we don't want it to be something, we don't want it to be to the extent of... Yeah, and also the actors are getting older. Like, you know, and, um, and Morpheus is like, you know, he wants to eat. <laughs> so, so, you know, got to get this, got to get this going. And like just thinking about the actor's age and, and what they and the work they put in, I really give it to Morpheus. Like um, he was in, he was in tip top um, shape for the first movie and in really strong shape in this in the in the second. Uh, um, Are you trying to take back that shot you just took? No, no, I'm not trying to take it back. You know, I'm just saying that you know he you know he because thing is I'm thinking about the level for because he had to do that scene he had to do that fight scene with the agent um, in, in the second film so you really had to be. You just can't go into these scenes and not be in shape. You can get you get hurt. So like I really appreciate the lovely work he did to kind of like continue to hold it together for it. This shows the level of commitment that all these actors had to this franchise. There's no way they could have done this ten years later. I mean, it's possible, but it's like, the, is there too much random things that could happen to people in terms of health, other circumstances, other movie commitments, life? Um, so yeah, they need to get they need to get two and three done. No wonder they tried it back to back. Like look, and they were fully committed to the whole the whole process. So now. I don't know. I thought this was just a little bit of a contrived sequence because now it's like they have to break into this building to get to the thing, to the thing, to the get to the other thing. I'm like, well, that has to ha that has to happen. That was the whole purpose for the keymaster. So to do what again? Well, the keymaster needs to get them in so he can go see the architect. And the whole idea of seeing the architect was that we had to have a reason for this film because the Matrix did so well. So yeah. you know, there we are. But the big thing right over here, we start getting a little bit more connection to what we had in the first film in terms of the philosophy. Right. Where, you know, Morpheus... Morpheus well, well, he says, look, he does not... He says, look, I see three objectives, three teams. That can't be a coincidence. That's purpose. And in that purpose, we're going to be okay. However, we also see three sentinels about to go <laughs> and blast one of the ships. And again, many times throughout the first... Well, let me not say many times, but there are enough times throughout the first and the second film that Morpheus's vision and his belief... They're both tested. They're both challenged. And this is another challenge because Morpheus, again, he's very steadfast in his belief. He believes what the Oracle has told him. He believes in Neo. He believes in himself. Very few characters come across like that, even though that's going to be taken from him by the clothes, which I hated. Yeah. But right over here, again, I see three objectives, three ships. One of those ships is going to be taken out. But once again, who comes 
who comes to fill the void? Trinity comes to fill the void. And again, why? Because she's the third part of them. Okay, she's that third part and she makes that trinity of Neo, Morpheus, and herself work. Okay, that's why that, that's why that scene, that's why that whole chase scene worked because each of those guys are in this incredible unspoken unison and it works. Everybody does what they need to do. We're going to play hot potato with the key master. Okay, I've got him on the bike. I'm going to pass him to you, Morpheus, and I'm out. I'm not backing you up. You know, I'm going to get out because there's nothing more that I can do. I know you're going to handle this, okay? Morpheus is doing what? He's playing for time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Why? Because, hey, I'm not waiting for Niobe to get here. Hey, you got here. That's great. No. Neo's going to show up. He's going to show up when I need him, and we're going to be able to get out of here. Everybody played that particular role. Now we're going to have the same thing here. Morpheus, Neo, they're going to go in, and unknowns to them, hey, these things aren't going to be working. Who's going to yeah. come in? Trinity is going to come in, and it also plays back to that theme of the love between the two of them that is going to help them surpass things that are supposedly unsurpassable. But there are some drawbacks. There were some drawbacks. This We're about to get into a sequence that kept a lot of people... Hmm, what's the word? Uh, if you didn't need a dictionary, then you definitely would have liked the thesaurus <laughs> when it came down. So... In terms of... In terms of, um, in terms of what? In terms of... Uh, the architect. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh man. Well, it, it definitely made more sense after like actually reading the script of, of the passage, and then also maybe seeing some other like from analysis in terms of what there was. But before I really did get confused about the idea of them being more than one Neo or or more than one of those of those type of characters. I know they're being literal, like because on the screen behind them, you're seeing. All these uh, uh, Keanu Reeves, all these Thomas Andersons, you're seeing them all on the screen. So I don't know if they're being literal, like he literally did this before again, or just mean like other ones, like it could have been a one that looked like Will Smith and a one that looked like, you know, Sylvester Stallone. Like I thought that would have been even more confusing for people if they had to go along with what the... Look, the architect is using some vocabulary that I don't think the average person is actually using on a regular basis. So there's that. It's also challenging the concept of Neo being the one, but that shouldn't have been too much for anybody to swallow because Morpheus himself says that in the first film. He says that there was, this per there was a man who inside of the Matrix was able to do whoever what he wanted, and he was able, he prophesied that another person was going to come, okay, and that person would be the one. So we're already shown, look, this isn't something that has been localized or is something that is unique or specific to Neo. Other, there's been at least one other person who's been able to do this. And since this person has been able to do this, he says, look, I've been able to do this, but there's a guy who's gonna come, okay? And he's gonna be even better. He's gonna be able to break through everything that I'm not able to do. It's like John the Baptist to Jesus Christ, okay? There's the forerunner, okay? And then you're gonna have the actual savior when we get down to it. So I don't understand why so many, or why even it was this big revelation for Neo when he's like, okay, yeah, but Morpheus told me this already. But again, it, it robbed it robbed Neo of the clarity and the growth that he had in the first film that something like that could shake him. Like, well, wait a second. You know, I was already told this by Morpheus. You're not telling me anything different. Right. Okay, I'm going to do what was actualized. But I, I don't really... I mean, hey, it was some years ago. I don't know if everyone remembered it. I don't know if anyone even cared at this point. But it also stands to make the two films almost dis distinctive of each other. Like, yeah. The Matrix was its own film, and this right over here was, okay, The Matrix Reloaded. You could almost take The Matrix Reloaded as a totally separate film. 
Okay, like okay, when we reloaded, it was something totally different. Same characters, but you take not quite the same. Reloaded as maybe three separate. <laughs> There's a lot of, in terms of the scenes. There's a lot of, yeah. You get almost like like three different genres or subgenres in this film. <clears throat> and now and now we're like really um, coming to the pivotal scene in, in which they're they're almost to the architect. Now Agent Smith comes back and all of his id is all over the place. And you know he's fighting off everybody, and um, Keymaster's dug in. And now we have also this is also like we're kind of coming way full circle to the beginning of the movie, where Trinity's coming in to complete her mission. Already know this is not this is not going to work out for her. Um, and 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 again, like I'm not sure why Neil has. To, well, you know we already know that he, he's going to his power's going to be held back um, for the for the, for the extent of these films. Because, because like, how long are you gonna go hand to hand? If in the Matrix you see him going with two hands, what would and we realize, you know I don't need one? At what point do you go? I don't need any hands. Well, we see that he didn't need to go hand to hand because at one point, well, we're gonna see the sequence a bit later. He doesn't need to do it, but again, that's the over, the overall problem was that you you had to regress Neo for most of this stuff to happen. Yeah. You had to take his power levels down to. Uh, you know, literally a flying, a, a flying, strong martial artist as opposed to the one who can do whatever he wants. Because the moment he gets some place to go, there's no more fighting. He's just gonna grab Morpheus and, yeah. and fly. Yeah. Trinity's situation. One of my older professors, one of my older writing professors, always he said he hated flashbacks unless the flashback was used very well. That the flashback was integral, very necessary to the story. We start off with the Matrix Lotus starts off with, you know, the explosion and Trinity fighting. And then we cut to this other sequence. And now we're getting into the point where we see this. Once I get over here, I ask myself, well, did we really need to see that sequence right over here? Would it have worked better if we just saw Neo tossing and turning? You know, if we just, you know, saw him struggling with whatever he does. And then we get a focus over there. Mm. I don't know. But the fact that I'm questioning it really makes me see that the flashbacks over here weren't necessary. That analepsis that we're getting in terms of trying to build suspense and trying to pose questions to us the way that the Matrix posed questions to us isn't as solid. Just doesn't work right over here. I mean, it, it was still a good way. To, I think it was a good way to start, but there was probably a better way to start over what we were given. We could have just been given some action and then we get right over to it. Because when we see a lot of these things over here, mm. did we really need to see it? Uh, and I guess if I'm questioning it, my answer is no. Yeah. I, I hate to sound so critical, almost hypercritical and down on a film that I thoroughly enjoyed, that I was thoroughly entertained by. The, the biggest problem with it, unfortunately, is The Matrix. <laughs> if this, The Matrix Reloaded was its own film, and The Matrix followed after, this might have been, I mean, to be quite honest, if this was the first film, mm. and then The Matrix followed after, with some tinkering on Reloaded, you, you have a very solid first film, and then a dynamite sequel. But in the order in which they came, it's just really hard to go along with it. Oh, but here's the architect scene. I'm going to let you take it. Take it away, B.A. Oh, man. C.A., you got <laughs> I pity the fool who got to do this scene by himself. Be call me, call me, B A. Yeah. So now we have the architect talking about the Matrix, um, which is going to really confuse everybody. 
Um, and there's a lot of words in it that just unnecessarily uh, uh, thick. And which is, which is like really counterproductive because you had the first movie where you're almost like catered to and kind of like slowly layered um, the themes and the, and the meaning of the movie. And this one is like, look, we're just going to intimidate you with a lot of big words and, and premises. And which, you know, which which kind of funny because I remember everybody that they're just being quiet. It was literally because no physical action for like a good five minutes for like the first time in this in this in this movie. So, so I just remember being in the movie theater and it is straight quiet because we are all on the edge of our seats just listening to this exposition and being like, okay. And then we get deeper into this exposition, we're like, what? And something's like, oh, like we said, just five others, and we're like, okay. And then you know, but obviously, what's it mean? It means they can't have a choice. And it's like, okay, you know, look. And then and, and it doesn't really seem to be much of a choice. It's like, okay, look, we, you can either lose or you're going to let uh, the Sentinels come in and kill y'all. We'll let y'all pick. I don't, know, I don't know how they would even do that. Pick like 48 of y'all to leave and repopulate with. And we'll, and we'll come again to a fight when it, becomes, when it reaches critical. Or you can go and try and save your one friend and we're going to destroy Zion. Which, from their perspective, doesn't seem to be a choice. But it's definitely a choice for Neo. Why? Because he's the one, baby. And he makes the choice, the only choice that he can make. Because he loves Trinity. I like the scene strictly for the use of vocabulary. <laughs> that's, that's just me. Vis-a-vis? Yeah, I just like the vocabulary that this is supposed to be. Yeah, supposed to be this higher level, you know, program. So, of course, you know, use some more, use some more sophistication. Some more vocabulary at the end of the day. I, I, I liked it strictly for that. But a lot of what he was saying, oh, look, okay, Neo's the archetypical hero. He's not going to say yes to this. Right, right. <laughs> he's not going to say yes to any of that. And why? Because he's the one. Right. But none of this should have, none of this should have thrown him in the slightest. None of this should have bothered him in the slightest as much as it does. The whole idea with the television screens all around, I thought was a good effect to see, okay, these are all the ranges of reaction, okay, that Neo might actually have. And then, of course, we're supposed to be thinking as to, well, if the guys who came before, you know, these were the possible reactions, these might have been some of the reactions yeah. okay. that they would come. But what I do like is that they, there's one reaction, okay, that they focus on, and for me, that was the reaction that they couldn't predict. That was the reaction that they were not expecting. As again, the program, rather the, the architect here, he's like, look at him. He's completely confident. Okay, if a program could actually be confident. But he's completely confident in what he's telling. Why? Because every time this has happened, you know, every time this has happened, the one has always made the same decision. What's different about this one? And he brings it into the same, well, you know, the whole thing. Well, your girlfriend over here is dying. Now, that was his mistake because Neo didn't know that. Neo's not omniscient. He didn't realize that Trinity was even in the Matrix. So had he not said that, the uh. result might have been a little bit different. But the fact that he's even bringing this in, okay, the fact that he's even bringing this particular thing in shows, okay, this scenario is different. Neo is different. But that seems to be lost on the part of the characters, the, if, if, if you want to go, you know, metatextual with it, the writers, Neo's different. Everything about this sequence is different than what have, would have come before. And Morpheus has already told us that there have been other guys. And when Morpheus loses faith, faith rather, it's very hard for me to take because Morpheus knows this already. Right. 
Okay, this it's not anything new that's being told to you. You know all of these things already. So, I, I, while I enjoy the scene, again, you know, I hope it doesn't. It, it's really tough because while I thoroughly enjoyed, the, while I thoroughly enjoyed the film, still trying to be fair in terms of the criticism, but that was something that shouldn't have floored anyone. And then, of course, we have the juxtaposition with Trinity fighting this agent. Now here, here I could definitely go and say, okay, fine. This is where people, if you really wanted to be critical, go right here. Because why the agent doesn't snap her neck, you know, why the, you know, everybody, everyone is fighting an agent in this film. We understand that Neo's going to do it without any problem, okay? Trinity goes off and she's like running from the agents we see her in the first film. In this film, she keeps with the same thing. She's the driver. She's allowing, you know, she's trying to get these guys away. She's fulfilling that. This is her big fight scene here. If you wanted to do it, fine, but try to use the same things that you gave Morpheus and try to use the same things that you might have given Neo in that fight with Agent Smith. Let the environment work for you. It shouldn't be happening in a small, narrow hallway where you don't have a lot of room to maneuver. Right. Do the same things you were doing before. Run. Push, you know, push back. Try to get this guy away from you. You're still trying to get away. You're playing for time or you're trying to escape. It has to be one of those two things. Here, to be in the fight, the only thing that... I mean, while it's a great choreographed fight scene, if you, and I have to be critical of it, she's fighting like she has some chance of defeating this guy. Mm. Because at, there's no point where she kicks, and okay, let me try to get away. Let me push this guy and see this. Let me try to go here. Let, those are part of the problems that we have. And then the intermittent fight, when taken with what's going on with the architect, takes away from the fight overall. Yeah. You know, that's part of the problem too. It, it's just hard to take because Neo's having these visions, he's doing all this stuff, and he's having these visions outside of the Matrix. Yeah. Why do you doubt yourself? Why, why is this guy yeah. able to get in your head in that particular manner? And if you had answered that question in Revolutions, no problem. And, and I was thoroughly taken by the whole thing. I mean, I had uh, what Todd McFarlane introduced these toys with certain scenes. I still have the toys. You know, the dioramas, you know, I was just totally taken in with The Matrix. I saw this film in the theaters maybe four or five times simply because I was entertained by it and because there were things that I was mulling over. It, and, you know, when I was coming over and some of the discussions I would just, you know, chat people up with, they were definitely influenced over here. But that was more so because I could extrapolate and have some different conversation. The stuff that was being brought towards Neo, the, you know, the, the fight scenes over here, with Trinity, it makes for it makes some com for some compelling viewing. If I'm able to shut off that side of the brain that's you know doing the criticism, when you do the criticism, it's like the choices that were made are kind of hard to swallow at the end of the day. As much as I was entertained by it, but as a lot of people know, look, you can be thoroughly entertained by something. You can be thoroughly entertained by something that's not necessarily the best quality. I'm a big fan of soap operas as well, and those are definitely some, <laughs> those are definitely some L, some low lowest common denominator type things. But hey, I take them for what they, I take them for what they are. And now uh, she just got thrown through the wall. That should be the end of this fight. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that should be the end of this fight. Well, okay, maybe not. She pulled out some guns, and now she's running like she should. <laughs> oh, now, yeah, I, I'm still knocked back by the fact that you said that the actors were dating. I'm going to have to do some research on this. I'm like, wow, they were dating? You didn't know that? No. I don't I, know. I'm not surprised by the idea, but I, I'm, no, I, I had no... I have no idea if they would see... I, I don't know how they were, long their relationship lasted, so... And then, and then uh, I mean, I love I love Trinity. I love her character. I love Carrie Ann Moss's portrayal of her. 
But honestly, like, I didn't really... I, I didn't find her... Um, I don't want to be... I don't want to uh, sound uh, offensive. She, she She's an attractive woman. I just didn't particularly find her... Uh, you know, I don't know how else to put it. I, didn't, I, was, I wasn't extremely like, oh my God, she's like the, the hottest woman I've ever seen. She was more along the lines of like... Um, who, the actress who played the original Lois Lane in the first, in that Superman movie, Margot Kidder. Yeah, she was like Margot Kidder. She was like, okay, she's attractive, but you know. So what's the point? Oh, the point being that I, I just I, I guess that, I'm saying that to say I was surprised to say that they they really dated. You didn't think she was attractive enough for Keanu Reeves? Is that what you're saying? Uh, damn, we're being recorded. This is <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Um, it's more. It's more. So I also thought the actress was older. You want to clarify that? <laughs> no, I don't want to clarify. I also, I also thought that the actress was older. So no, I didn't. I didn't see. I didn't see that really happening. Oh, okay. So you you thought because of their age difference, the two of them wouldn't get together. Yeah, has nothing to do with her being hot or not hot enough for him. You just thought, okay, they're just different different points, and they wouldn't be attracted to each other yeah. because. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. No. No. You should thank me for that. Helped yeah, you out right yeah, there. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Okay, we're not ageist here at the Spinner Rack. At least oh, one of us is that, not an de- ageist. De- definitely not. Definitely not. Okay. Now, I would leave this to Professor C.A., but he's too busy taking the taste of his Tim out of his mouth right now. So, right here, we get what? We get the reversal of what we got in the first film, where Trinity commands Neo to live because she loves him. And Neo... Okay, is going to do the same thing. She is going to live because he loves her. No, I mean, in the first movie, her love saves him. In this movie, his love saves her. Not quite the same. Beautiful. Not quite the same as where, you know, his is a little bit more, his is a little bit more of a physical thing. And definitely, we do the Snow White with the magic, almost the almost magical kiss coming back. Yeah, I'm not kissing. She got all that blood in her mouth. Well, that's why you're alone. Because... You know, come on. This is the woman that you this is the woman that you love. You don't care about all of that. But yeah. hey, I, you'll fall in love one day. It's okay, man. Oh my God. I've fallen in love before. Okay, what happened? I'm fine. I'm fine. It's fine. It doesn't seem like it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, when you're in love, like, come here, baby, give me a little kiss. But there's some blood on your lip. Oh, that's all right. That's you know, that's that's not right. You know, come on. You know, I, I'm there for you. But where is uh okay. Where is the initial Okay, where's the initial? She saves him. It's almost it. It's almost magical, because he's just totally out, and he's not. She's not. She's talking to him. There's no connection. She's not connected to the Matrix. So it's almost a spiritual thing that she's able to get across, and it plays into the whole thing of the you know belief and fate, all of that stuff right over here. This is more hands on, right? This is more hands on, and so it's tougher. But Harold Perrineau. Okay, you can't take it. You know, does it for us right over here. It, everything, it, uh, as much as man, I'm, I'm remiss. Harold Perrineau took us on this great journey from the doubter to the believer. Mm. He's all <laughs> in. He's all. He's all in the mouth. All right. <laughs> now we we, we we have we have a, the, petty. We have a great scene. Petty, petty, petty. We have a great. We have a great scene. We got Petty Labelle over here. <laughs> okay, everybody's getting, everybody's tired. <laughs> let's uh, now let's let's focus in on this last scene. Um, awesome scene where he breaks down what he thinks he's learned. What has he learned? <laughs> the fact that, you know, it's all, what he's saying, that's all a lie. It doesn't matter. I'm like, really? But, but we understand, this is not a lie. He's saying the prophet is a lie. Why is it a lie? Why has the architect been able to get in his head? Look at Harold Perrineau. He's looking at him like, what are you, some sort of dumbass? 
He's like, after everything I've seen, okay, after everything I've seen, rather, sorry, after everything I've seen, how can you believe this? And Morpheus, okay, Morpheus is right over here. He should be unshakable. And Neo's doubt is able to get into Morpheus. Why? Because Morpheus thoroughly believes in the one. If the one doesn't believe in himself, and we went through all of this in the first film. Do you believe yeah. it now, Trinity? Yeah. Do you believe it now? Why? Where is the doubt coming you're, from? You're the one. You did all this stuff already. And, th and then why would he think just because of what the architect said that has the, 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 the prophecy wouldn't come true? Like, okay, so maybe he didn't, okay, he didn't walk into the building and the war wasn't over. But the war is going gonna, gonna to come to a head anyway. These guys are, are coming for them. That, that's still a problem that needs to be solved. And they're not going to be wiped out because they need them. Because obviously the architect's um, conversation shows that he needs them. Okay, look, we need you guys to repopulate. So if they need to repopulate, there's still going to be some kind of hope anyway. So they're not going to just get killed. Well, think of that scene where we had the Merovingian and Persephone. Where they go and they're like, hey, we need to get to see the architect. Can we have the key master? And they go, screw yourselves. I'm not going to go give you the... I'm not giving you anything. Just get out. What is Morpheus' reaction? No, everything happened the way that it was supposed to happen. Okay, nothing could have happened differently. This is exactly what was supposed to happen. No problem. His faith is not shaken. Why is it so easy to shake it right here? Okay, you went over here. Okay, we did everything that we were supposed to do. Not everything is going to be revealed to us right away. Yeah. And it, okay, it's easier for me to say that I'm not a character in the film. Right. right? You know, I'm, I'm a viewer, so I understand, okay, and I know there's another movie coming out, so it's easier for me to say. But in terms of the whole characterization, you really end up chumping him. You end up chumping Morpheus because that was one of the things that was crucial to his characterization, his steadfast bedrock belief in what he believed in. And you shook him, and for what reason? And then right up, what's going to happen within just a couple of seconds, Neil's going to do something like, oh, wow. Right, and that's what I'm saying. That should, that should like... And Morpheus is not there to see it. You can feel him this time. So now he's going to go and he's going to like, hey, reach out and stop this. And stop these uh, machines with the power of his mind? I don't know. But he stops them. And they're in real life. Or are they? Yeah, they are. But what the hell is going on? And then he stops like uh, three of these guys all at once. He drops them down. And then he drops. And then, you know, his girlfriend is like, Neo, what the heck? Um, and then what's going to end up happening is that we're going to be called this awesome scene where basically he's injured. And so, yeah, we have another injured guy. And that's going to be Agent Smith. And we're like, oh, cut the scene. Well, I mean, if you go with it, look, what happens now, okay? These guys, okay, the war isn't over. You know, Morpheus's faith is shook. But then at this point, I'm like, okay, well, your faith should be reestablished. We were running away from these guys. What happened? Trinity says, I don't know. No, Neo stopped the machines. How the hell did he do that? Okay, we should be dead over here. Ship just happens to, a ship just happens to be here? No, it was the same thing that you said before. Three ships, three purposes. We're still alive. We're still in it. We're still fighting. Where is the optimism? It's gone so quickly at the end of the day. The thing is, where did he, why did he even have to go to the, to, to, to the mainframe in the third movie if he could start knocking back Sentinels. But, well, okay. He, so, so basically, he could have fought the Sentinels in, in the attack on Zion. Yeah, but he didn't have a need to fight any of the Sentinels or anything of that nature. What I think that they were trying to show is that, okay, because he made that choice, okay, because he made that choice not to go through, he's not the same type of, he, he wouldn't be any of the guy. It's one of the reasons why he's the one. 
Okay, this guy, for whatever reason, is not merely human. He doesn't merely have control within the matrix, but there's a certain amount of control that he's going to have outside of the matrix, and that's what's going to really be the big difference. Because the machines are going to need him as he's going to work like some antivirus in the end. I mean, I appreciate you actually trying to have like a logical explanation of that. I thought he would just be simple saying he's the one, meaning that like, yeah, meaning if you can take control of your dreams and be a lucid dreamer. Then you realize that, that and, if, and if reality is a matter of controlling your thoughts and emotions, which you need to do to control a lucid dream, then you can control reality. Yeah. Hey, what can I say? It was just, look. It's a lot, it, y'all. It, it sounds like I'm damning it with freight praise, but I really enjoyed the film, but it's commentary, and the commentary has to be critical, and there was just a lot of questions that were, where in the first film, we got a lot of questions that were posed and answered and were stimulating. A lot of the stuff posed over here was unanswered, was stimulating, but didn't go anywhere, and then defeated some of the best characterization that uh, some of the best characterization that had been done in film with with the characters at the end of the day. And was it necessary? Was it needed? Ah, ah! It's all I can say is ah at this point. Okay, if you sat in the theater like I did, you spent a good two hours, a good two hours and change, and. You know, I really have to wonder, you know, uh, 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 that's all I can say. That's all I can say at the end of the day. Well, hey. Don't make any more movies. <laughs> well, they're not. The Matrix, they are. They are. They're looking to make more movies. They're making more Matrix movies? And, and not even the Wachowski brothers. Like, one of the Wachowski, like, sisters. Oh. Are you? Yeah, the sister, apparently. Wait a minute. Don't you mean one of the brothers had a, was, you know, had a sex change operation? Is that what you mean? Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Oh, wow. Then he could. Okay. So, well, we gotta go. We gotta go. <laughs> we gotta go. It's not gonna be the full team from the rest of the movies. They're gonna try and do it again, and they're gonna with a new Neo, and it, it's looking like it's gonna be Creed. Okay. Well, yeah. We, we, hey. Well, thanks for rocking. <laughs> thanks for rocking out with us because we're going into territory that you guys just don't need to hear about. But hey, we hope you enjoyed yourselves. Again, we're not gonna do revolutions. No. We don't have any reason to do it. No. That's just gonna be two hours of us just taking shots, and there's no, no reason for it. Hey. Calvin Ellis right over here. Thanks for rocking out with the Spinner Rack. Professor BX, out. See you later. See you next time. God, I can't get back any of that time.